discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and let to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. Welcome to the Total Liberation Podcast. It's your host, Mexi. As you may or may not know, depending on whether you are a new listener, I took January and February off because I became a mom rad. <laughs> I gave birth to my first child, Sylvan, on January 4th, and it's been a pretty wild ride. I shared the story of my birth experience and some thoughts on birthing and parenting in late-stage capitalism over on Patreon, but I plan to do a short series publicly here with different guests, hopefully some rad parents that you know and love, on different aspects of all of this, so stay tuned. Uh, later this month, I'll be speaking with a listener and patron of the show, a fellow Marxist with the Masters in Women, Gender, and Social Justice, with a focus on motherhood studies, who works with birthing people postpartum who are dealing with identity loss, anger and rage, and birth trauma. And we'll be talking about how patriarchy, capitalism, and whiteness shape motherhood as an institution. And we'll dig into the baggage around the term mother, uh, which we would define in a gender-inclusive way. So yes, that is coming up later this month. Uh, but right now, by popular demand on Patreon, I am releasing a stream that Nick, Catherine, and I did on A Little to the Left on the dark and sordid history of the birth control pill and the sexual politics around it. As you might imagine, we are, of course, wholeheartedly supportive of birth control options being widely available and accessible to people, uh, but it's so incredibly important that people understand the risks of the pill in particular and exactly what it actually does in the body. And, you know, it's, it's important to discuss the history of a lot of institutions around birth control um, so that people can make informed decisions around which methods to use. And also so that we can potentially rectify some of, uh, you know, the past mistakes. Um, some of what we talk about here today will be relevant to the discussion on the institution of motherhood that I'll be having later in the month, particularly around how racism and white supremacy have harmed black mothers and BIPOC parents more broadly. By popular demand, I will also be releasing our conversations about monogamy and polyamory at some point, so all of that's coming up, along with hopefully a number of big names. <laughs> I have a long list of people that I'm, I'm going to be reaching out to for interviews, um, largely around eco-socialism, geopolitics, and the like. So yeah, all of that is coming up pronto. I'm not sure how much crossover there is between this audience and the audience for a little to the left, but I think it is fairly small and 
people seem to always want things in podcast form anyway. And uh, releasing the A Little to the Left streams helps me to get you double the content while I'm honestly still struggling to find like half an hour each day to do anything not related to breastfeeding or pumping. Nick joked that I have just one big boob on my calendar, and that's pretty accurate. So um, thank you so much to new patrons, Black Cat Familiar and Mechanic Peter. Since I am on maternity leave and collecting unemployment insurance, I cannot make other income without it being a bureaucratic nightmare. So the Patreon payments are paused at the moment, meaning you can sign up for the Patreon and not be charged for next month, but get access to the Discord server where we hold bi-monthly community chats and there are stickers available too designed by the incredibly talented artist and activist Menika Rapka. So that is all I want to say up front. That's all the housekeeping we have for today. Thank you all for your support and please enjoy the show. Okay, and we're live. We did it. (laughs) Welcome, everyone. So um, as you probably know from the title, we'll be talking about all things birth control today. And I feel like this is a subject we can come at from so many different angles. And given the amount of, you know, just horrid right-wing politics around the subject, uh, and especially recently with attacks on, you know, reproductive rights and reproductive justice, of course, we'll be talking about, you know, the necessity of birth control and, you know, why universal access is so important and how it's been very liberatory for people. However, we have a lot of other stuff to say too. Uh, You know, often the burden of birth control falls on the person who has a womb. Um, And this is especially true in like cis and heterosexual relationships. Um, and we've, uh, well, I think actually just me and Nick watched the business of birth control, which we're going to be referring to a lot today, which was extremely eye-opening. Um, and as somebody who has had a lot of issues with the birth control pill myself, it really, um, I think it's a a really important watch, but we're going to be talking about a lot of the issues with the pill in particular, in particular, because that has always been kind of the standard go-to option and the one that often falls on the person who has a womb. Um, There's also a lot of racist and eugenicist history of birth control and of sterilization. And yeah, so as always, we're going to talk about, you know, the history, the facts, the politics, but sprinkle in our own experiences and definite content warning for themes of sexual assaults. We probably will talk about things like stealthing, for example. So yeah, do either of you have anything to jump in with before we dive in? I don't know. That sounds great. I think we can dive in. All right. Um, So, yeah, I thought we could start with the importance of it, Um, just because, again, yeah, there are so many right-wing voices who are against birth control, um, but for very misogynist and oppressive reasons. Um, A lot of people on the religious right, obviously, opposing this. Um, And so we don't want to, you know, we're going to be critical of different kinds of birth control and like the history of the pill in particular today. But obviously, we don't want to echo or embolden any of those right wing voices. Um, And so yeah, we really can't 
understate the importance of the emergence of birth control. And I guess specifically the pill, um, because like I said, that was, you know, kind of the standard contraception form that women had uh, increased access to. Um, and I should say people with wombs in general. And this is something that I, I didn't even really know, <laughs> um, that things like diaphragms or other forms of contraception were not actually available to people who weren't married. So basically only married women <laughs> had uh, access to diaphragms or things like that. Um, and so if you weren't, then obviously you were at a lot of risk. And so this was obviously a way for people to have more control over our bodies. Um, you know, something that we didn't need men's permission to do, right? So we could take control of it ourselves um, and just have sex on our terms and not, not be like stuck or abandoned if pregnancy occurred, right? Um, I actually just did a podcast with Dr. Kristen Godsey, um, who wrote why women have better sex under socialism. And um, a big part of that book is the way in which, um, you know, people who have wombs or who can give birth, um, not having access to uh, contraception, not having access to abortion, um, also just living in societies that are much more unequal, et cetera. Um, how, I mean, just the injustice of this under capitalism, especially, right? So, I mean, we all know, you know, like being forced to have a baby that you don't want to have is, is supremely unjust, but then also being left with that in this economy. And uh, it really just takes away, you know, everyone's choice and their ability to make their livelihood. So actually, according to a University of Michigan study, the, the availability of the birth control pill is responsible for roughly a third of women's wage gains since the 1960s. So it's, mm. you know, it's about control of, over your body. It's about, you know, you're controlling your own sexuality, but there's under capitalism, like there's so much more than that, right? If the responsibility for child, child rearing is falling to you, especially in a situation where you didn't even choose this, then of course that's going to have like broader economic impacts. I wanted to also mention, like, re Kristen Godsey, that the availability of all that, like the availability of birth control, abortions, and then wider social safety nets, uh, and just more equality in society in, in general, means that people with vaginas often have better and more satisfying sexual relationships anyway, and the orgasm gap can be addressed through those things. So, so many good things. <laughs> um, do either of you want to talk at all about the importance? Um, yeah, just one thing to add, which would be that it, I guess it also helps um, us not get locked into the into marriage really young, because I guess a lot of people were kind of forced to get married to the first person you were ever interested in having sex with because you were so afraid that you would get pregnant. And I guess this allows us to spend um, years like choosing a partner and hopefully then get to an age or life experience or I don't know what you know many factors that enable us to make better choices as we get older and have more experience and I think um yeah I, I feel like so many abusive relationships or unhealthy dynamics or traumas um came from people having to get married so young and then um yeah getting locked into these unhappy permanent um marriages which often they couldn't get out of because of the stigma so I think, yeah, that's a, a massive win. And also, I think we can be, like, critical about the um, 
yeah, about birth control without that necessarily meaning that the, the benefits don't outweigh or the cons outweigh the benefits. Um, I think, I don't know, there often seems to be this like, um, it's, it's like two extremes, either you can only talk about the benefits or you can only talk about the cons, whereas like, yeah, hopefully it can be a bit of a nuanced discussion where we kind of acknowledge both of those things, hold two truths at once. So, yeah. yeah, I like that. And I think it's interesting to actually think about the cons and the context of them because the pill it is and was so empowering for women and people with wombs, you know, so it kind of makes sense to me that there's this underlying nefarious sort of consequence, I guess, to that, that mm. is very gendered and, and pretty intentional. So I think, yeah, as with many things, we can say, okay, this might be a net good, but the the negatives of it are there for a reason. And I think it's really important for us to be able to talk about that and address that and maybe have the ability to demand better for ourselves, which like in that documentary, you saw some of that, you saw some of the activism that happened around the pill and how dangerous it was and, you know, some strives to make it better. So, yeah, I think I just agree with you, Catherine. I think like having this very black and white approach to things like this is actually really harmful ultimately for the oppressed class because it makes us adopt this attitude that we should basically be grateful <laughs> for being given stuff that we should be given. And mm -hmm. also that any consequence, and I hope you know what I mean by consequences. Like, obviously I don't mean that like not wanting to get pregnant is bad, but I mean that there are built-in kind of consequences like, okay, you want to, you want to control your reproduction. Well, you know, here's your risk of blood clot and stroke and all this other stuff. So I think, you know, it's really important for us to see that. And also for those of us that have certain privileges to understand how other communities have been impacted by that on top of like how we've been impacted ourselves. I think it's kind of silencing to other people to be like, well, it's a net good, so we can't critique it. Because mm -hmm. then it's kind of like, oh, thank you, daddy patriarchy for giving us this <laughs> thing that killed a lot of people, you know, and it's like, no, we can demand better, we can demand safer. And we can also look to what, you know, men, cis men have uh, gone through in terms of like any trials that they did for a similar pill or birth control solution for them were canceled because the side effects, which were basically identical to the side effects that we would have, were too extreme. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they couldn't mm -hmm. handle it. And it's like, Okay, so like, what are we saying? What is that saying about our society and how we view people with wombs and our pain, you know? So I think these mm -hmm. conversations are extremely important. And it doesn't mean that we're somehow setting back feminism or reproductive control. It just means we're talking the truth about how this has happened and how it could be better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and also to your point about um, uh, thank you, Daddy Patriarchy, I think it's, yeah, it's really interesting that we are made to feel like we should be so thankful for this as the, the pill is like um, liberation because for so many um, decades through like centuries in the Middle Ages, we had natural forms of contraception by witches 
and healers and herbal remedies and things like that. There were uh, also natural forms of abortion that were functioning really effectively. And it wasn't until the patriarchy and the witch hunts and the like widespread um, genocide of, of women and getting rid of witches and not allowing them to be healers or to take charge of women's health. And then instead um, making like men, the doctors and the medical knowers um, of what to do with our bodies, um, that that all changed. So yeah, I don't think um, it should be a case of like, yeah, thank you, daddy patriarchy, since like the patriarchy was the thing that removed this from us um, in the first mm-hmm. place. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really well said from both of you. And and yeah, it's just obviously in a patriarchal and deeply misogynist and racist society, often the solutions to whatever problem that we're talking about are carried out in racist and misogynist ways that then just kind of double down on these yeah. systems, right? So yeah, let's just get into the problems with the pill in particular. And again, I would definitely shout out uh, the business of birth control. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I shouldn't have been surprised at all to really hear about the history of how the pill was created and even, uh, Planned Parenthood, which obviously, you know, critical support for Planned Parenthood, especially during these times, as I mentioned, you know, of, of these attacks on reproductive rights and freedoms. But the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, is a really controversial figure. So obviously, she believed that, you know, women and people with wombs really needed to control their own bodies in order to be free. Uh, But she also was quite rooted in white supremacy and in other forms of, you know, eugenicist kind of thought. She definitely thought that, quote unquote, undesirable populations could be reduced or eliminated by controlling their breeding. And uh, the undesirable group that she mostly talked about was the mentally and physically ill or people with disabilities um, and also people living in poverty. And it it just rings, uh, you know, it just sounds really close to, you know, like Malthusians, basically, um, and other eugenicists. And she was working with Pincus. I believe, um, and trying to develop a a birth control pill, they knew that they, they couldn't really do the kind of testing that they wanted to do in the U S and they figured, Oh, well, let's, let's look around the world. Right. Or let's look at at Puerto Rico that, uh, you know, the U S is controlling and there's a lot of people living in poverty there. So let's go do the testing there. Um, and so the people that were being tested on <clears throat> were not told at all that this was an experimental drug. They really, yeah, were not given any information really at all. And were basically just used as guinea pigs. And about one third of Puerto Rican women were uh, sterilized, many involuntarily, Um under policies that pressured women to undergo hysterectomies and and things like that. But the pill trial itself, I mean, three people died and their deaths were never even looked into. Uh, And that was just kind of swept under the rug. Like the the FDA was like, yep, it's fine. Um, But the 
the uh, doses that they were giving to people in America were much less than what they had given to the people in Puerto Rico. Uh, but even still, like they kind of just glossed over uh, the fact that this clearly had negative impacts on people during the trial. And then, of course, you know, like over time, it started to come out that more and more people in the U.S. were also developing similar uh, problems or uh, it was leading to death in several cases. I mean, again, yeah, it's just these things that we we take as, I don't know, just unquestionably liberatory. I, yeah, usually if you look into the history, like there is some form of racist, eugenicist kind of uh nonsense behind it and I, I just think it's just such a testament to like the enduring the enduring nature of white supremacy and patriarchy and whatnot that like even our solutions end up replicating this kind of shit in like the most disgusting of ways and only now is there really moves to try to like reckon with this and I know that Sanger's name has been taken off of a lot of things associated with Planned Parenthood and they've changed the name of a lot of the um you know, the awards that they give out and whatnot. But yeah, it's a pretty sorted history. Yeah, it is quite sorted. And like you said, I, I don't know if I was surprised exactly, but I, it was a history that I had not heard before. You know, just like, oh, of course they did these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing because I've known for a long time that I've had issues with the way that birth control and yes, as someone asked earlier, we're talking about birth, mostly the pill, as Mexi said, and birth control that would be prescribed to you is really mostly the topic today. Um, I know I've had issues with the lack of information and transparency in that process and also the over-prescribing, which I think we'll get to as well. Um, so I knew all of that was bad, but knowing this like much darker history you know, just puts it in pretty stark relief that this is also why these things were not meant to necessarily be super safe, you know, because you're Mm -hmm. talking about a population that you're literally (laughs) targeting to reduce. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, are you really going to care if the birth control is safe for them? No. And even when it spreads out to the larger population, you know, you're talking about loose young women, which are the most terrifying thing in, you know, proper society. So again, you know, it's like, well, if you have some people who get sick from this and we're not held accountable, but people know, then it's kind of like a nice deterrent or a punishment. So you're just talking about a lot of people where it's like they're not necessarily wanting you to be protected, even though this solution is being offered that seems liberatory. Mm-hmm. And as Catherine said earlier, you know, it's it's also one of the many times I think we see that we had ancient traditional wisdom around how to control these things in a safe way, right, from people we trust that's taken away and then it's replaced with a pharmaceutical, which we Mm -hmm. see happen a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just wanted to add that um, there is such a long history of um, women's uh, products not being tested properly. There was the Balkan shield, which was a sort of IUD that maimed um, or destroyed many women from the inside some women lost uteruses from that. The Ishul was um, a device for um, sterilization, which led to so many 
side effects. It was eventually cancelled. Um, but yeah, they've never really taken much accountability for these things. And then when it came to the pill, um, Barbara Sinan interviewed medical doctors about the pill, which prompted hearings called uh, Nelson Pill Hearings. Um, but the women's movement crashed that in the 70s because the, the people giving evidence on the people talking and the doctors and everything, it was all very male dominated. So they were arguing that, you know, this isn't an accurate portrayal of actually what the the impact that the pill is ha having and this is very biased and yeah not actually doing anything so and yeah and that's basically been it and then of course the um, actually as you were saying the history of legal sterilization of um, indigenous and uh, black women in particular um, and yeah the classism involved in that so there's like such a long history of birth control and products made for women based on um, birth control being yeah being used in in these ways and there's very little accountability taken for that or like you said the fact that none of us really knew about this before um, doing this research just shows how like how much of a lack of knowledge there is about this and then when we don't have knowledge about it it means that history can so easily repeat itself as we mm. keep seeing and mm. the fact that we are taught to like yeah just to take this so uncritically despite this history I think is incredibly sad um I also read this quote by um Sanger that um she wrote in 1920 just to like hit home just how eugenicist um her policies or her birth control was um she said birth control is is nothing more or less than the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit and of preventing the birth of defectives. So, Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's a, it's worth noting. I think that these things are also not in the past. They still happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I know in the U S we discovered that uh, people were being forcibly sterilized at immigration detention centers being given um, operations where they weren't told what was happening and then they were being sterilized. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is just a couple years ago. So mm. this is still actively currently happening, mm -hmm. um, which I think is really important. And Catherine, to expand on your point too, there's things like uh, tampons and sanitary napkins are full of pesticides. Cotton is one of the highest pesticide crops that exists. And so there's, you know, as my best friend Sarah says, uh, forever chemicals in my badge. <laughs> there's all <laughs> kinds of wild shit that can be in things like tampons. And when you think about the fact that you're putting it inside yourself where you have this very thin, you know, kind of porous uh, skin, it's, or whatever membrane, it's, um, kind of horrifying and it's mm -hmm. and it's this kind of slow war that we constantly see on you know afab bodies if you will where it's you know the cosmetics that we use and the sanitary things that we use and that it's just this continuous pileup over just being exposed to these chemicals these endocrine disruptors 
Um, and then we're told we're crazy or we're making things up or exaggerating when we go to our doctors and say, I don't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm having migraines or I'm having this or that issue. Mm -hmm. And we're told that nothing's wrong with us and to go home. So I think it's, you know, the birth control piece is like a piece of a larger whole where it's hard as a person with like a vagina to not <laughs> feel like you're just being sort of terrorized on a very micro level every day with mm -hmm. even just the products that you use. And you have to, you know, that's what my, my friend Sarah is like researching stuff all the time. And she expends, I mean, the, the amount of labor she expends trying to find clean products to use is astronomical. And it's never what you think. I mean, the amount of research you have to do to know what's actually going into your body, you know, I mean, and that's an issue. It's a larger issue too, not not just for people with wombs, but like, it's, it's exhausting, you know, mm -hmm. and you just realize like, you're just meant to... <laughs> put things in your body, essentially, not knowing what they are and just deal with the consequences. Mm -hmm. And I mean that like literally and metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, re it happening today still. Yeah. In Canada, um, they are still, it came out uh, last year, I, I believe um, that they're still sterilizing indigenous women in hospitals across the prairies, across all of Canada. Um, so yeah, this is not something that's happening in the past. Like this very Malthusian eugenicist kind of shit is still ongoing. Um, and it needs to be part of the discussion. So yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, after these, you know, not sound and completely unjust trials um, and the fact that they covered up a lot of the actual side effects, um, you know, the FDA approved it, but it was only really approved for a short period of time. And the thing is that there's really no consensus on this. Like if you Google it, I Googled it before the stream because I was like, yeah, how long can you be on the birth control pill? And a lot of people will say that like it should only be like a couple of years or whatnot. And we'll get into why. Um, but then there's a lot of people who are like, oh, it's probably fine. Like there's no real, <laughs> you know, there's no real kind of consensus. Um, and there's a lot of things online that are, that are just kind of like, well, you know, again, kind of like the benefits outweigh the cons and you could, you're probably fine to take it for a long time. Just be aware that these risks are associated with it. And then it's like, yeah blood clot, liver tumor, stroke, heart attack, mm -hmm. depression, uh -huh. um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> diabetes, you know, like all these things that are associated with it. Like I was on it for 11 years, 11 wow. years. That's such a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely want to come back to this because like, I definitely have had a lot of issues with that. But again, yeah, it's just really frustrating that still, I mean, Nick, as you mentioned, um, you know, when tests like this happened for men, like cis men, and they had these similar kind of side effects, it was like, no, 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 no we're shutting this down. <laughs> yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then still to this day, you can't even find reliable information on how long you can actually take this thing without seriously damaging your body. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so one of the biggest things that I took away um, from the documentary and that this blew my fucking mind is that when you are on the pill, you do not have a period. You do not actually have a period. And this just made me so angry because... <laughs> 
<laughs> like this pill, this is prescribed to quote unquote regulate people's periods. Yeah. If you have any kind of irregular period or any kind of thing, it's like, oh no, that's okay. We'll put you on the pill and it'll just regulate you. No, you're not actually having the period. You're actually just suppressing the entire process. You do not ovulate. And so initially when they gave out the pill, so for anyone who's unfamiliar, um, you know, you have three weeks of pills and they have different levels of hormones in them. And then the fourth week, you just have sugar pills. So it's called the placebo week or whatever. Initially, they did not include that, that placebo sugar pill week. And so people on it were not having periods. They weren't having bleeds. But consumers felt too weirded out by that. They felt like, oh, this can't be right. Like, I'm just not having a period anymore. Um, So the companies making the pills added the placebo sugar pill week so that people would experience a bleed. But basically, it's just that, you know, you've been taking these hormones for weeks and then you withdraw. And that, that kind of mimics what happens before your actual period. And so it triggers a withdrawal bleed. So you're bleeding but it's not the same as a period. Like you didn't ovulate. It's not the same process. Um, You're not clearing that stuff out. You're just bleeding. And so this pacified people, but it's not the same thing. And so, yeah, it's like, okay. I mean, how, how many years can it possibly be safe to be suppressing your entire hormonal system? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, and yeah, recently I joined, um, like I read, well, I didn't read it, <laughs> not yet, I'm going to, but I, <laughs> I joined uh, the group that goes along with the period power book. Um, and just, I've learned a lot about, you know, cycles and the importance of cycles for people who have them and like living according to that cycle. Um, and just, you know, there's different points of your cycle where you're going to have more energy, where you're going to, you know, different things are going to happen to your body physiologically, and you're going to have different needs throughout like the month long cycle. Um, and one of the biggest issues with (laughs) patriarchal capitalism is that it's designed for people without cycles. It's designed for people who Mm -hmm. have, um, uh, biology where they basically experience that all within 24 hours. Um, and so within the same day, you know, you'll, you'll just be able to kind of recoup and and start again. And so everything is based on this idea that you should have the same amount of output at every point of the, at every point of your cycle, um, because it's not even paid attention to. But yeah, I mean, learning the importance of that and, and the way that that interacts with all of your other hormones and your endocrine system, for example, I mean, everything is so intimately linked um, Mm -hmm. in people who have wombs and who menstruate. And so, yeah, it's just well to me that people are on this thing for decades, not realizing that like, they've completely disrupted their entire system. Like they're not actually having a period. Yeah. So for me, um, like my chronic illness, I, so yeah, for anyone who doesn't know this as well, uh, I developed a chronic illness over the course of like 10 years and it had to do with a number of things. Um, I did have a long-term eating disorder, which um, really stressed my adrenals and my endocrine system. Um, and, uh, you know, led to migraines, led to insomnia and eventually to like thyroid and, and like endocrine issues, like I said. 
Um, but I realized that being on the pill for 11 years didn't help any of that because also, you know, being on the pill affects uh, how you deal with cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and it makes it more difficult for you to deal with uh, that that hormone, um, which is something that I was already struggling with as somebody who, um, you know, had such elevated levels of adrenaline and cortisol in my body, um, you know, from everything that else that I was going through. So that did not help. And also the pill is an endocrine disruptor. So it affects mm. your endocrine system. So I just can't imagine like how linked this was with my own issues. And what happened to me was that, um, over time, I started to have like, I started to have my bleeds were like two weeks long. And um, it was kind of wild. And I, I definitely ignored like that was definitely a warning sign that everything in my body was breaking down. But I ignored that because, you know, I had this eating disorder, and I kind of didn't want to address like the other things that were a problem, you know, in, in my life. Um, but knowing that, like, this was happening to me. I was having like two week long bleeds and those bleeds weren't even periods. I was just literally bleeding. It just really messes me up. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Like I just, I can't even tell you like how much damage that probably did. And then eventually, and my doctor never told me this whole time. She never said, Hey, you should probably not be on the pill for like that long. Um, until I, my migraines got so bad that they were unmanageable to like, I, I, like I had been in the hospital, like I think, you know, three times at this point, like I had to go to emerge because of my migraines. And then um, she was like, okay, we better take you off the pill uh, because that can cause migraines. And like, oh yeah, you've been on it for a really long time. So you should probably come off anyway. And I was like, what the hell? Like, why mm -hmm. was I not informed about this before? And also at the time, I feel like it's just been so normalized that like, that's the only option, you know, especially if you're in a long-term relationship and whatever, it's like, well, well, the man's not going to do like, you know, in a cis hetero relationship, it's like, well, the man's not going to do anything. Like if we don't want to get pregnant, then I have to take the pill or we have to use condoms, which is like, we'll come back to condom politics, but it's just like, you know, the, oh, that's just intolerable for like a lot of men apparently. And, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I was like, well, what the heck am I going to do? Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we can come back to that as well, but uh, yeah, like I, I was only taken off of it in this extremely dire moment. And only at that point did my doctor make any mention of the fact that this could happen and that I probably shouldn't have been on it for so long. Um but yeah, I, I just think about like all the people who are on it for even longer, all the like very young people who, you know, like pretty soon after puberty, they're starting this thing that just suppresses that entire process. Like they've just developed that hormonal system and then they're completely suppressing it. And just like, what is that doing to people, you know? Yeah, I had a similar ish uh, situation because I was on the shot for a long time which I really loved because I cannot remember to do anything on a regular basis. <laughs> so whether that's take a pill, switch a patch, change my ring, doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm bad <laughs> at all of it. So this was like you go every 11 or so weeks and you get a shot 
which was annoying. It was annoying to have to go get the shot, but like, otherwise it's like, okay. And I felt really protected. I stopped having my period, which I thought was amazing. And I was on that thing for years and I did have some side effects, which I tried to talk to my doctor about. And he told me it was impossible for me to be having side effects because I had lower um, estrogen than the pill. And I was like, but I am though. (laughs) And also from like what I've seen online, it seems pretty well known that the shot has certain side effects. You know, it's like, doesn't seem to be a big secret. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he was no help. But point is, I was on it for years and years. And then um, I got off of it for a time. And then I went back on it later. And when I went back on it, I was told like, I could only be on it for two years or something. I forget the length Mm -hmm. of time, but it was like, okay, you can do this, but you can only do it for so long. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, no one ever told me that before (laughs) about Mm -hmm. any of these things, you know, these things were, and I was on birth control from 16 to 30, Mm -hmm. maybe even 30. I can't remember. I think I went off of it like right at my 30th birthday. Um, yeah. And no one ever mentioned to me until, you know, the end there with the shot that like there was even a time length to be considered. Mm-hmm. And after that time, so many times, cause I had, you know, different health issues, which interestingly, the more I discover and figure out, the more it's all seems to tie into cortisol mm-hmm. and my inability to like handle stress physically Um, which is interesting to think, okay, like how much did that play a part in that process? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I was having a lot of um, issues with like extremely painful periods, extremely heavy periods, blah, 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 blah. And every, and I have like a massive history of endometriosis and things in my family. My sister just got a hysterectomy. My mother's gotten one. So it's like, that's there. And no, none of my gynos even ran any tests. They were just like, well, let's put you on birth control. And I'm like, even if that works, which it's not going to, it's not going to cure me, right? It's not a treatment. And even for most people, it may reduce your symptoms, but it doesn't get rid of them for the most part. So I'm like, even if it worked in terms of lowering my pain, you're not telling me what's wrong and we're not fixing it. We're masking it. Like what, what is wrong with me? (laughs) And is Mm -hmm. it a chronic condition? Is it a progressive condition? Because if I mask it and it's progressive, then it's just going to get worse without me knowing. And then, and I think they said that in the documentary, you know, it's like you mask your condition and it it gets worse while you're masking it. And then you come off of it to like have kids or just get off birth control or whatever. And you're like, Oh my God, like things are so bad. And this whole time when I could have been trying to address it, I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And in that time, my body's been like falling apart. So yeah, I think again and again, for me, it's just the lack of transparency around birth control. It may have gotten better. I'm old now and I don't bother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, you know, like for my entire lifetime, I felt like there was just a wild lack of transparency. And then also I definitely saw it go from like when I first got on birth control, it was if the vibe very much was like, you're doing this to prevent pregnancy. And within my lifetime, I'd been offered birth control as a solution to so many other things, mm-hmm. just very mm-hmm. casually. Yeah. Mm. To the point that I'm like, do they even know 
what it is, you know, because like it's offered as a solution for so many things. And it's just like, do you do you know the implications of this? Like, I just kind of wonder that about some GPs, you know, because it's yeah. just like, how can suppressing my entire hormonal system be a solution to any of any of these things? Yeah, I also think it's crazy. And what can be so harmful about it is that most of us go on it at at a time in your life when there are so many other changes anyway and then be yeah, like you're in a teenager or early 20s or whatever and then people often think oh your negative effects like depression anxiety or whatever is like as a result of oh you're just a teenager or you're a hormonal woman or women are crazy and all these like gendered stereotypes of us being overly emotional or whatever and so yeah then we internalize that oh these results are not nothing to do with the pill they're to do with like um just me inherently as a woman or um because of these other life changes like I went on the pill just as I went to university so I was 18 and um I like that those first few months of university I was constantly like every night crying myself to sleep and I was um I don't know it was a terrible time it was a really like the whole year I basically didn't leave the room at all and at the time I thought oh I, I'm leaving university my boyfriend is back home also the relationship is really unhealthy I thought oh these are the factors and uh, yeah maybe they could have contributed but when I came off the pill years later I was like holy shit I'm a transformed person and now in hindsight I'm like how many of those changes were because of hormones and how many were because of not hormones how many were because of like life circumstances and how many were because of the pill and then also even if the like those effects were because of like being a teenager or you know other circumstances is it really good when you're at such a, such a pivotal time of life to go on the pill like I'm sure um you know it was initially made for as you said mixed people married people who wanted like a break in between children or whatever and maybe you're in a more st stable point of life but if you're like a teenager and you're going through so many hormonal changes and life changes and whatever it feels like the wrong like a really bad time to like enter another thing that's like transforming your entire like hormones and everything um and also it's crazy to me to think that like hormones are essentially your personality and so I think Abby Epstein made that point she was like hormones are your personality and I was like oh shit that's so true and then it makes you think like if if this one pill like cha can change your whole entire personality for like a whole decade of your life, like who would you have even been outside of that if you hadn't have taken that? And how many other choices would you have made if you um, hadn't been on that? And I know it, it's just, it's just like really sad to think about such a uh, pivotal time of your life and how much it could have such a domino effect to other things in the future. Um, like you with chronic illnesses and, um, yeah and like yeah so many other things um anyway I also wanted to say that the thing um that really blew my mind as well which I think it was in the period power um, book that I read was that um the pill actually mimics the second half of your of your cycle your and like for anyone who doesn't know the second half of your cycle is basically like PMS um so the first two weeks of your cycle is generally when you feel pretty good or especially like the second week where mm -hmm. yeah it's often associated with excited hormones and happy and you feel so much better and then like the PMS part 
it's where everything goes to shit and you feel like shit and um you have like stress and often you're you're feeling down and sad and all of these things and so if you're if the pill is essentially mimicking the second half that means that like you're not getting the benefits of the first half of your cycle and you're just replicating the part of your cycle that you actually want to like not have mm-hmm. so it really makes sense to me that everyone's feeling like shit on the pill if um if it's mimicking yeah the part of your cycle that sucks and also what i learned from the period power podcast and the book in general was um how much like our cycles are actually like such a powerful thing <laughs> as mm-hmm. the like title of the book suggests and like how much if you listen to your cycle like how much it can like transform your life and um i don't know she talks about things like um in the the first two weeks can be a time for you to like really be energized and really have so many new ideas and um you get into projects and like really have that momentum and that confidence and then the second two weeks of the time when you like take more introspection and often like the rage and the yeah the hormonal like sadness and the things that you're feeling at that time can be helpful because it can enlighten you to the things in your life that you want to change and all the pent-up emotions from those two weeks uh, from the whole cycle like come to um yeah come to a head towards the end and and like yeah I for example like the day before my period I usually always cry and it's like a great way to release like all the things that have come the months and like I feel like a new person when the other day after and um I don't know it's just sad that well firstly that we've become so removed from listening to the the wisdom within our cycles and and also like living in tune with our cycles I think Mixi you mentioned that um earlier as well but Mm -hmm. secondly um also if we're not only not in tune with our cycles but also disrupting that to such an extent that like I don't know how much knowledge and wisdom and um like self growth and all of these things could we be capable of if we had a deep like intuitive like connection to our cycles and like lived in tune with that um and also didn't have something suppressing that I don't know I I mean me now really paying much more attention to my cycle and trying to spend my days in accordance with like what my body actually wants it's really been transformative to I mean not to say that I'm like perfectly doing everything in accordance because obviously like life doesn't allow that but yeah it's it's so much more powerful to to recognize like oh okay this is the time of my cycle this is why I'm feeling like this and and this is this is the time of introspection so let me like think about that or uh, this is the week where journaling would be really good because um there's so much like that I need to process right now or and I know also like my exercise like oh there's no way I'm exercising at this week but in two weeks time I'll be so excited to exercise and okay someone wants like to do a hike with me I'm not going to do it this week but two weeks time that's a good hiking time you know like I don't know it's just yeah <laughs> um it's just I, I just can't get my I can't get my head around the fact that like um it's like a permanent PMS if you're on the pill mm-hmm. yeah that is really concerning to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I wanted to add in to this because I don't know I don't think it fits cleanly anywhere in particular but there's also um I guess some kind of irony <laughs> or something <laughs> In that the pill for a lot of people too reduces your libido. Yeah. Mm. And I know for me, 
the puss was much wetter after I went off the <laughs> film. So there's also this idea, like we all know how much, as, like particularly in a cishet dynamic, that things like you getting wet reflects on your partner, right? And there's a lot of mm. pressure around being uh, not just sexually available, but being excited about it and having your body reflect that. And I think there's just something to the fact that, again, you're given this thing that's supposed to help you have pleasurable, lower risk sex, mm -hmm. but that is possibly impacting your enjoyment or your even your desire for sex. Mm -hmm. And that's something that no one ever talked to me about when any mm -hmm. any time that I was given birth control, no one ever talked about those potential consequences. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then I also think that the, I, I think what really highlights the fact that the pill is still to this day, not truly intended to be liberatory. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying like the powers that be do not intend it to be, mm -hmm. is the fact that you cannot voluntarily sterilize yourself as a person with the womb if you haven't had many children or you're not at an age where they're like you're disgusting and decrepit so fine we might as well <laughs> um i didn't even that, know that yeah it's i mean sometimes you can find a doctor who will do it but most of the time you cannot find a doctor who will I'll allow you to do tubal ligation if you haven't mm -hmm. had even my sister has been begging for a hysterectomy for years because her endometriosis was so bad and when they went in and finally did it all of her organs were like stuck together oh it my was God. and they were she's lucky but they were worried that they were gonna have to um like cut into her bladder and that she might have you know to heal from that or even have permanent damage from that because it was just, everything was all stuck together. Ugh. And so she knew this, right? Like she felt that this was happening and it was extremely painful and it was happening for years and years and years. Mm. And she was begging, begging, begging to have a hysterectomy. And my sister has three kids, mm -hmm. <laughs> three fucking kids. And they were still like, no, you're too young. Oh my God. Mm. What if you want to have another kid? And she's like, I don't even know if I can anymore. You know, it was like the endometriosis was to the point, even the three kids she had, it was extremely painful. She almost died with one of the births. She had a ton of miscarriages. So she's like, yeah, maybe I would like to have more kids, but just realistically, I can't risk it. I don't have the, you know, I don't have the strength to go through that again. And I'm telling you, this is what I want for myself. I mm -hmm. want my, my um, uterus, I think they took her uterus and her fallopian tube. She's like, I want it gone. Mm -hmm. And they fought her and fought her and fought her, even though she had a very clear medical need for it. And she had actually already had multiple children. They still were mm -hmm. like, oh, poor little woman. What if you want to have, <laughs> what if you want to have more babies? And she's like, how even? <laughs> oh my <laughs> how God. That? So yeah, it's, uh, I think that that really highlights, you know, the fact that like, how how little control we're truly given over our own bodies because mm -hmm. I wanted an IUD, which is very hard to get if you haven't been pregnant. There is some valid reason to that because um, apparently it's like a size thing, you know. So if you've been pregnant, I think things stretch a little bit, even if you aborted or miscarried. 
um, which make the IUD easier to insert. Um, but it can be done. And I also think like if there was a was a vested interest, I'm sure something could be developed, you know, that would make it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, even getting something like an IUD where it's there and you don't have to think about it is really hard. And then getting uh you know, more permanent sterilization is next to impossible for a lot of people mm. of a certain age, especially if you haven't had kids yet. And it's just as someone who's known since I was like a tween that I do not want kids. It's been so frustrating and forced me down this path of hormonal birth control mm. for 14 plus years. Mm-hmm. Which is so fucking damaging. Right. And to me, like <laughs> Whereas if I was 18 or 20 and I could have gotten you know, yeah. a tubal yeah. ligation, then I would have not, I would have been able to avoid all of that. Yeah. And it's really gross that like, I didn't even know that. And learning that is especially gross to me because I know that they will give vasectomies to men mm-hmm. at age well, like 20. Candy. I'll hand them out. Yeah. Because in the vegan movement, remember all these men getting vasectomies at like <sighs> age 20? Yes. There was a whole movement. Um, like <laughs> it's like an antinatalist, like vegan movement. And all yeah, all these guys like in their early twenties, even like late, I don't even know, like maybe not late teens, but yeah, definitely early twenties, um, getting vasectomies and then talking about it and promoting it to other people. And you're telling mm-hmm. me that like, yeah, somebody uh who has three kids. <laughs> but he's married with three kids yeah who's disabled who's in pain can't just get a fucking yeah ligation it's or a hysterectomy yeah it's ridiculous so yeah. celeste says again you have to remember i'm old but celeste says uh there are little iud's now for people who never gave birth and oh, thank god yeah they were able to get one in france three years ago and i do That's to good. be clear like i do like i have a friend who was able to get an iud without having been pregnant but, it, but the point is, like, if you go in and you're like, I my cramps are kind of bad. They're like, pill? Do you want yeah. the pill? Yeah. Whereas if you go in and you're like, I want a more permanent, reliable solution to controlling my reproduction, it's a bigger fight. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad to see. Because that, that that's exactly what I was saying. I'm like, why don't they just have a smaller one then? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that would solve the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Also, to your point about the libido, I also found it really fascinating that in that the pill can really impact your choice of men as well. And I think it was in the period power put, um, book again, where I believe she gave a, an example of a woman who was engaged to a man and then went off the pill and then broke up broke off her engagement because like the impact was so strong that. Um, no longer being attracted to her partner and so like these things Mm. can really have like a big impact in terms of um yeah your attraction at your attraction to people and um and things like that and I think that's like yeah that's really 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 um crazy to me yeah I do know that like when you're on the pill it affects your ability to like smell pheromones so Mm -hmm. because like usually what does attract you to somebody is like their pheromones and their their smell um and that's kind of like a subconscious hormonal thing that goes on but the pill disrupts that process because it disrupts all of your (laughs) your hormones um and so yeah I have heard that as well that people will go off the pill and then be like I actually 
don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brutal. It's like, you know what? I'm horny. The piss is wet. And I'm not into you. So I'm going to take it somewhere else. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, and the last thing I wanted to add, just going back to the vegan men who are getting uh, vasectomies. Cause that was such a, such a thing. Um, I also remember reading one of those posts from one of the guys and he was talking about how he didn't use condoms because he was like zero waste. Oh my God. And so he had this vasectomy (laughs) and then he would pick his partners like who were low risk and then would just have unprotected sex with everybody. Great. And it was like, Whoa. this is where we are as a movement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, God. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, it's terrible. Um, yeah. I also, another thing that blew my mind when it came to the pill is that um, being on the pill closely mimics what it's like to have um, menopause. And Oof. so, like, your hormonal... That does not make me excited. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Your hormonal situation, like, is like you're on menopause, which is, yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, no wonder we're all cranky and... <laughs> yeah. and tired and... <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, like, the libido things. I, I mean, yeah, it makes so much sense, Catherine when you describe that it mimics the luteal phase of the cycle, because yeah, that's when like, usually in the first two weeks, when you're building up to ovulation, that's when you're like really up for it. Like you're really Mm. out there, you're excited, like you, you're down for it. But like after, because that's after the the ovulation, you're everything's kind of shutting down, you're going back Mm. inwards, like, yeah, you you don't want to be touched, you don't want to be whatever. And so yeah, I just think, um, I mean, and there's so many other, you know, things that can affect it can, you know, we talked about mood, it can affect your weight, like your heart and lung function and, and all of this stuff. And so yeah, it's just really perverse where this like burden <laughs> falls to people with wombs, and then you're mm-hmm. dealing with all of this. And then you're also yeah, trying to have like a satisfying relationship when your hormones are all messed up, you can't smell pheromones, your libido is is whack, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is basically like all because, yeah, as you said, like the other options that are good, like IUDs, like I, I had an IUD um, for many years and it was amazing because um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't get the hormonal ones because like after being on the hormonal one for 11 years, I was like, I cannot go on any more hormonal shit, but they do have a copper one. And so getting a non-hormonal IUD, I know that like some people have discomfort with with it. Not everyone likes it. Catherine, you brought up that like, I, it, you know, there were ones that they were not testing that like actually like maimed people. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's really fucked up. Um but yeah, I mean, like if that was available for people, I mean, like if there was different options that weren't so disgusting and severe that were uh, available, but I mean, condoms are available, you know, um, but it's like, you know, some men don't like that or they're like, oh, it affects my sensation or whatever. It's like, oh, okay, well, in that case, I guess I'll just suffer developing chronic illness, like having all of these side effects related to my mood, my libido, my health, um, everything, and potentially risking much more severe things like blood clots, strokes and death, uh, because you would 
rather not wear a condom and yeah that's crazy (laughs) it's so crazy that like a momentary um lesser pleasure still pleasure just a little lesser pleasure is seen as more significant of a problem than all of the above that you just said yeah that's crazy it's so crazy Yeah. yeah No, it's really upsetting because then it's like, because like, that's the whole thing. Like where this is why it was considered so liberatory for women in the sixties, because it's just like, oh, finally, like, finally we can um, have sex now without the risk of pregnancy because it's like, it's just assumed that, Mm. oh, well, yeah, we can't use condoms. And I, I remember like growing up that there was such like a lot of pressure placed on young people um with wombs or like young women in hetero relationships to not wear a condom because I mean we've talked about many times on this channel that we're we're very very taught to prioritize male pleasure prioritize the male gaze Mm. and that we need to like compete sexually and so you know if you're trying to like get with this guy and he's you know you're you're not an interesting sexual partner if you make him wear condoms like he'll want to go find someone else who won't or whatever so there's yeah there's a lot of like just subtle ways that people are pressured into it. And so it's like, oh, finally we have the pill. So this is, this is liberatory for us because now we can assume the risk and discomfort and still prioritize male pleasure, but like be able to have sex more without, you know, hopefully without getting pregnant, but it's still just like a prioritization. Like it's still based on this prioritization of male pleasure that we are now assuming the risk, you know, and that's Mm. liberatory for us. (laughs) Yeah, um, I also think that, like, historically, um, like, women are always victim-blamed for, like, men attacking us and, uh, you know, assaulting us. And I think this is just, like, another example where, you know, we're having taken on all the responsibility for warding off men's advances and resisting them. And... um, yeah we we constantly have the responsibility of like oh we us being the ones to make sure that like men wear the condoms and we have to um if if we if they don't wear a condom and we get a disease or we get pregnant then that's our responsibility because we weren't like effective enough at like warding off um yeah warding them off and then or like you know convincing them to wear the condom and um not yeah allowing them to coerce us into not wearing a condom and that's all our responsibility and then that allows us to allow men off the hook when they leave us with the baby it's like well you were the one that decided to have the baby you were the one that um should have been more responsible about taking the pill or using condoms um getting him to use a condom so you're the one responsible so we're not going to blame the guy for like fucking off it's your yeah it's your responsibility and yeah, and then and instead we're like, oh, what a great guy if he like sticks around when you chose to have a baby that he didn't really want. Um, it's like, yeah, the double standards, I think, mm. are crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's so much around condoms that we could talk about. But we were talking about this in Discord yesterday because I did a little <laughs> streaming party for the documentary. And, um, you know, there's, there there are legitimate, like, I don't like condoms. I think a lot of Mm -hmm. people with vaginas don't like condoms, Mm -hmm. or a lot of people who get penetrated don't like condoms. So it's, that's also irritating to me, because it's like, well, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's not my ideal either. You know, I far, like, I find condoms very drying. 
mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure a lot of people do, or maybe it's just my mix, my spicy mix, but like, I, you know, so it's like, yeah, I, they're not for a lot of people, they're not mm-hmm. ideal, mm-hmm. but what are we talking about here? Like yeah. when we're weighing all the pros and cons, what is, what is a lower ask for mm-hmm. you to wear a condom or for me to permanently change like my hormonal makeup? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And like, even for myself, it's like, yeah, yeah. Would I like to raw dog it? Sure. But like, <laughs> you know, I don't want to get pregnant. I don't want to get STDs, whatever the case is. Like, this is just the best option. And it's mm-hmm. the one that we can both see. We both know, you know, we have transparency into it. And there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was going to say is that, you know, we've talked about like our masturbation episode. I think that's worth listening to because I do think the way that people masturbate makes a big difference on whether or not they like how they feel about condoms. Because if you mm. think about if you're masturbating to the point where even a bare vagina, well, I guess you're bare, but you know what I'm saying? Like even um, unprotected sex with a vagina is not enough. Like it's still very hard for you to get off. Then like, yeah, of course you're going to feel nothing with a condom. So I think mm. there could be some education around sensitization and getting to a point where you're not feeling nothing with a condom for those people that that's even true for. Um, and then there's just so, I, I don't think people realize like it's really hard to find the right size mm-hmm. <laughs> condom. Yeah. And also people have like a lot of different preferences for like texture or um, like I'm very sensitive to chemicals. So like any of the added flavors or um, the warming lubricants, like all that stuff is very irritating to me. Mm-hmm. So I think like, cause I know the first person I had PNV sex with, uh, it took us a while. We actually thought he was having impotence problems because he couldn't like hold an erection. And eventually we figured out it was because the condom was the wrong size. Mm. And once we found a brand that fit properly, he was fine. So I think that they're, I think that they're, I guess to give people a little bit of grace and leeway. Um, I hate that word grace. Everyone says it now. And now I say it and I'm like, I fucking hate that word. And it's like in my head. Anyway, side tangent, but, but to give people like a bit of credit, you know, again, I, I think like when we talk about sex, we always need to be like as open as we can and like as educational and, you know, just, just allowing people to speak. And I think like, it, it can be condoms can be very uncomfortable and they can mm-hmm. be very awkward and they can like cause issues. Yeah. But that doesn't mean like, that means that we need to troubleshoot. It doesn't mean that we need to pressure people into unprotected sex or force yeah. them onto uh, reproductive control methods that are going to make them feel like shit. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wish we could have better conversations about like, okay, the way you masturbate might be impacting your sensitivity. And yeah, like you may have to go through several different sizes and brands before and, and thicknesses and all kinds of stuff before you find something that works for you. Mm -hmm. And given that condoms are kind of expensive, it's like, okay, can we give them out for free? (laughs) Can we give people like some kind of big ass multi-pack that they can play with and figure out which one is the best for me? Because it, Mm -hmm. all of that makes a huge difference. And I think the way that, um, you know, penis size has so much 
pressure on it. I think that can make it hard mm -hmm. for people too, who maybe need a smaller condom or, yes. or, you know, in the case of my ex, he needed a bigger condom and <laughs> he, but he had this, like, he almost had like body dysmorphia about his penis because he just was like, he couldn't wrap his head around the fact that he needed a bigger condom because he's used to like, you know, 14 inch hogs and in porn that being like <laughs> big. And I'm like, babe, no, like you're working with a fair amount, you know, we, we need an ex, we need a bigger condom. But I think like, you know, because of that, that also makes it really difficult for people to just be able to be honest. And like, it makes like, if you need a smaller condom, I'm sure it makes it harder to go buy them. Mm -hmm. um, at least today, it's much easier. You can just order them online for a lot of people. I guess that would probably help. But yeah, I think, you know, condom use, I get it. It's embarrassing. I know I've had a lot of partners who are kind of like, maybe don't really know how to put the condom on properly. And I offer to help and they're like embarrassed. You know, there's just so much awkwardness and embarrassment around it. And I do think it's the kind of thing where guys feel like they're supposed to just be able to do it and kind of know what to do. But it's, it can be more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And it can be okay. Like it's, it is awkward. <laughs> it's yeah. fine, you know, but, and that can be normalized, but we don't, you know, it's supposed mm -hmm. to be, I think, especially when we look at like sex scenes, I am constantly just like, where is the condom? Yeah. Like, constantly <laughs> when I watch things, I'm like, oh my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> just shocked at like how often, and it's not to be judgy but it's also like I think it perpetuates this idea that safe sex is not sexy yes and mm. you know it's just like the idea we have about consent like if you talk about things beforehand they're not sexy so we also don't see that in any of the sex scenes and yeah. when you when you get that over and over and over it does condition you to think oh well I'm gonna ruin the mood if I like need help with the condom mm -hmm. you know because even putting the condom on is considered like kind of like a pause in what's happening and it yeah. could potentially ruin the mood. So there's just so much like if we could have media have better representations of safe sex, because that is also consent too. Like when I see a scene where two people just start banging, I'm like, okay, like it does seem consensual, but at the same time, like he doesn't know if she's on the pill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them know their, their STI status. Like, yeah. This is a little concerning. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought all of that up. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad that you also brought up that like, yeah, of course, like condoms often don't feel great for people with vaginas either. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah. I can only imagine with anal. Yeah. Girl, <laughs> it must be a hundred times worse. Right. I will say I have had sex with condoms sometimes that has been great. Yeah. Like sometimes weirdly, everything works really well. Mm -hmm. So it can happen, but, yeah. but, you know, most times, uh, it feels less great than without. Yeah. But well, yeah. Part of it. Like, I, yeah. And the stuff about like the size and brand and everything, because yeah, I, I definitely have had, um, you know, some really great experiences where, yeah, you know, it was like smaller and more tight and like, I, mm -hmm. you know, maybe had some like texture or whatever. So then it kind of like mimics or whatever. So that's been very nice, but yeah. And I, I agree. I was just like, 
there's so many dudes I think who are just like, oh, I need a large or I need an extra large or whatever. And then like, yeah, it's like, like oh, sweetie, yeah. But then it's like hanging off or it's like bunching up, and then mm. like, of course, that's not going to feel good. That's going to feel super. You're going to be hyper. Not to mention that. that's dangerous and ruining. Right. Like it's besides the point at that point, you know. Exactly. But yeah, like mm. if it's something is bunching and whatever, then ob- you're just you're going to hyper fixate on that. You're not it, it is going to take you out of the experience. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we need to get over this whole like penis size, everything <laughs> around that. Mm. Um, and just like you said, like, what is the bigger ask here? This is a choice that we're making together. Um, and like, yeah, we need to weigh you know, what is being asked of each person, right? Yeah. And someone in the chat said, like, I don't understand men who don't want to wear condoms, like they're risking getting an STI as well. And I also never understand that, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many men who are just like out on the dating apps. And like, yeah, they do not want to wear a condom, you know, mm-hmm. and they will be very vocal about that. And it's like, what, what? Like, what are you... Mm-hmm talking about here you know like you're risking yourself but you don't you don't care yeah yeah I the reason I initially went on to the pill was actually because me and my boyfriend at the time were using condoms but they kept splitting Mm. and in hindsight um I'm really frustrated by our lack of knowledge or the lack of knowledge we were given or about like different types of condoms because yeah I think the condoms were Um, too small at the time and that's why they were splitting I've never had that issue since and um and yeah and I think to myself yeah if only we had just like got like bigger condoms or like more yeah better fitting Mm -hmm. condoms we would have then I wouldn't have gone on the pill because I would have been like okay we can continue using condoms and um this is uh yeah working fine for us but yeah there's such a lack of like information or knowledge I also think in a similar vein, like so many people go on the pill to um, make sure they don't have periods. Like I know we talked about Mm. the withdrawal bleed, but I had so many friends who would take the three weeks um, back to back to back to back so that they would never have um, periods. And so then they wouldn't have, uh, yeah, so they would never take the like sugar pill um, versions and it was all basically just to um, make sure that their boyfriends never had to have sex with them on their periods mm. or that they never had to turn down well I shouldn't say periods it's like not a period it's withdrawal bleed but mm-hmm. so they don't, shouldn't have to turn their boyfriends down on the period because um they're like well um yeah I don't want my boyfriend to be frustrated that I'm not always down to fuck or I the whole like cool girl trope um, mm. or manic pixie dream girl or wanting to fit into that mold and so yeah it's like so great for them if they if they're like oh yeah my boyfriend never has to see me um ever having a period never has to deal with any of that like stuff and that would be off-putting so I'm never gonna um yeah I'm never gonna be with him when I'm on my um yeah when I'm leading and I think like that just really frustrates me because okay I think people can have their preferences about whether they like period sex or not um but I do think a lot of the time men's aversion to periods comes from like patriarchal conditioning around like how gross periods are but also our own discuss our own lack of desire for like people with wombs um having sex on our periods also comes from internalized patriarchy sometimes I mean sometimes it's like 
you know you don't enjoy it or you're it's painful or whatever like there's like I said there's many valid reasons not to want to but yeah if we just internalize this disgust for our own blood and then we feel like we have to cater to men by like not having sex or like making sure we don't have any kind of blood whatsoever ever but like what kind of impact is that having um and I remember my one of my friends um she said yeah like my doctor said it was perfectly fine for me to like do the three weeks back to back to back there's no problems and and she was permanently doing that and I'm like whoa like like what impact does that have um and the doctor was saying that's fine well honestly now that I know that it's it's like it probably is fine you know because like (laughs) it's probably not worse (laughs) like yeah exactly because because that's how they initially released the pill was just they didn't have the placebo week that was only done to pacify people and to and to sell it to them because people didn't want to buy it because they were like well this can't be right because yeah it's and none of it is right (laughs) (laughs) right. Uh, I want to point out earlier Koch um pointed like made a joke about killing the word libido <laughs> yeah I <laughs> saw that whenever I use the word libido I am using it kind of sarcastically but I know that you all are not actually inside my head so you can't know that <laughs> so anyway I just wanted to to point that out that because I know we have some ace people um on the stream as well and yeah the concept of libido has its issues and, you know, there's probably better words, but also I just think it's kind of a funny word. It is funny. I don't actually know what the, um, what is the issue with libido? Just I think the big libido. thing is that, you know, for ace people who just never want to have sex, there's, there's this kind of tension between like, when we talk about libido, often we're talking about like, everyone should have this, this desire Oh, you know what I mean? And there's also a little medicalization of asexuality. So a lot of mm-hmm. times people are trying to find the medical reason that you don't have a quote unquote libido. Mm. So I think that's it. it's kind of it's kind of like um I think it's tied in a little bit to sex drive as well, even though that's more specifically problematic in a patriarchal sense. But it's this idea that we're all supposed to have sexual desire and that sexual desire is sign of like a healthy well-functioning body mm-hmm. so <laughs> so I wanted to say yeah I probably shouldn't I'm I know I use the word first um and I probably shouldn't have but in my head I'm always like libido because <laughs> 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 it is a funny word and it's also just a funny concept but yeah um I guess we could say sexual desire for people who have sexual desire it's something that can be impacted by birth control mm-hmm um but for people who don't you know that's fine too Mm, yeah and there could be people where it removes their sexual desire and that's fine by then you know it doesn't have to be seen as a bad thing Mm -hmm. um yeah I also just wanted to finally say as well that another thing I wish there was more education on was like um I constantly went on and off the pill but like in like three months I would be on it for for three months then off for one month then on it for two months because um Mm. yeah I used to do that a lot too yeah because (laughs) I would just be really bad about taking it oh god yeah that too yeah no I never um remember to take it every single day and uh, yeah and then sometimes I take two pills thinking that that which now I know like doesn't actually do anything if you take two (laughs) in one day but um yeah because I was in the long distance 
situation and mm. so I was like oh yeah I just take it when he's here <laughs> and then, like, no. but that's it's just no like in hindsight I'm like oh my god like how crazy the whole mind must be to be on it sometimes on it and not also can we talk about um the morning after pill like I didn't do any mm. research on the morning after pill for this like stream but I I've taken it twice in my life and it's it, it was really like it really fucked me up for that time and I know that it's supposed to be even more harmful than like the pill itself also it's so expensive like 26 pounds so I mean I think it's even more in the US right and yeah and that like hormonally I was all over the place it really made me like almost suicidal being on that um pill it was Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I took it once in my life, but I don't remember having anything. But yeah, I, I don't know much about it, like in terms of, like, yeah. I've, it's I've, a higher dose. It's like a more concentrated dose, uh -huh. which is why it works. Um, but if you have issues with hormonal birth control, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be exacerbated. Like oh. it's going to be whatever issues you have are going to be even more so because it's a higher dose. Gotcha. Yeah, it's pretty intense. And yeah, it's very expensive here. Um, I think it's like the last time I took it, I think it was like $40. Wow. Um, it was free for me, but. Um. <laughs> it should be free. All this <laughs> shit should be free. Everyone's always griping about like poor people having kids. And I'm like, hello, yeah. I've been asking to be sterilized for years. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> give it to me for free. Give me a tax break. <laughs> oh god <laughs> but yeah it's um and it's it's another thing that you know I think it's very similar to the pill that we're talking about or like any other hormonal birth control where on one hand of course it's extremely empowering liberating whatever it gives you even more control over your situation but on the other hand it also still puts even more responsibility on you mm -hmm. and this time like well, I guess it's always kind of financial, but this just feels like even way more so because you're not going to get your insurance to cover it. Whereas with birth control pills, like maybe you would. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, like hope, like now we have all these rom-coms and stuff where it shows them going together and they like split the cost or whatever. The guy pays for it. Mm. But in a lot of situations, you might be left to have to go get it yourself. And so you're like, wow, okay. Like now I suddenly have this, you know, $40, 26 pounds, what have you obligation that I have to go do to protect myself. And yes, it's cheaper than an abortion, but like here I am, I'm just again, cause I know a lot of guys who are like, oh, like she'll just take the morning after pill or whatever. Mm. Well, I don't, I'm not friends with people like that, but I mean, it's like <laughs> a thing that you hear, mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's like just yet another way for someone to not put on, you know, I said condoms are expensive, but in the grand scheme of things are very cheap compared to a lot of these other solutions that people with wombs have to get. Because even with birth control, like I think my copay was always like 25 bucks, mm. which is not a lot, but I also used to be extremely poor and that was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, condoms would, I don't know if they would, where they would average out, but anyway. It's like, it's much cheaper for you to carry a pack of condoms on you than it is for me to always be on birth control so that I'm always protected. Because mm -hmm. like Catherine is saying, it takes at least one month or like one cycle for birth control to kick in. So you have to always be on it to be mm -hmm. protected. 
Mm -hmm. or you have to do the morning after pill, which is very expensive and also very physically, you know, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, where was I going with that? Anyway, yeah, I just think it's it's another way that like people with wombs are burdened with preventing pregnancy mm -hmm. where you can just have that happen. While I will say they are great. I had someone actually, I don't know, it wasn't stealthing exactly, but he like ejaculated inside me without asking if it was okay. Mm -hmm. And um, very much like wanted me to get pregnant. Oh. And, and so he refused to help pay for the morning after pill. Oh my God. So I had to bear that cost myself, but I was able to go get it. You know what I mean? Like I was able to make that decision for myself, even though I had to bear the cost of it. At least I was able to, to prevent that from happening, you know, from him forcibly impregnating me basically. Mm -hmm. And of course they broke up with him. <laughs> right after that yeah um, but yeah but it just even then it, you know it's just this um I always think about cost because I'm you know yeah poor and grew up poor and it's like yeah these things are great but also there's a bit of there's a class barrier there's a cost barrier mm -hmm. and if you're someone who like I've had times in my life where I just did not have forty dollars period mm -hmm. I didn't have a credit card that I could have charged it to. I didn't have, I didn't have it anywhere. I didn't have anyone I could borrow it from. So you think like, oh, it's irresponsible to get pregnant when you have these options, but it's like, not everyone has those options though, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought up like the class character of all this because like, yeah, during, you know, all of these right-wing attacks on abortion and legislative or sorry, reproductive freedom and stuff like that. Um, you know, you'll, you'll hear a lot of people being like, oh, well, if you're not ready to have a kid, then don't have sex. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Talk about so, a pleasure gap. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, okay. So like poor people, I mean, yeah. Like try actually raising a kid in this economy, A. Um, but B, is, it's like, okay. So poor people should just never have sex. Like, yeah. is that what you're saying? Like people who don't want children should just never experience that kind of intimacy and pleasure with their partner. Like what, what the hell are you talking about? Um, and yeah. So like the fact that abortion is often so expensive. Um, I mean, again, luckily I, in Canada it's covered. Um, but yeah, yeah. But you know, in, I know in the States, a lot of places like it's so expensive and then all of these things can be really expensive again, if they're, if you live somewhere where it's not covered. So it's like, you know, like not only is it, um, you're like, well, I can't, I don't have the funds to bring a kid into this world. So I need to, I need, I need a uh, contraception. Um, and then the contraception itself is like, you yeah. know, a, a, has like a class barrier to it. Yeah. yeah. And as Celeste mentioned, like rape exists too, you know, it's right. not like, it's not like it's always yeah. consensual or voluntary either. Uh -huh. And yeah. like, that yeah. doesn't mean you shouldn't have access to options. Yeah. I, uh, I also think it's um, crazy that the burden um, in like heterosexual relationships is always on like women to be the ones to be negotiating safer sex because mm. historically we've had like no power <laughs> when it comes to sex and um, yeah, I mean, still today we don't have like the power in those situations. So 
if any anyone should be empowered to be the ones to like be instigating like say the sex like should be men that should be at the forefront of being taught how to do these things and like instead of us having to be the ones that have to negotiate that because it's just like the constant negotiation of like um not only trying to avoid sexual violence but then also like trying to trying to like make sure that you're having safer sex at the same time and then because of sexual violence it's often so hard to negotiate like um having these like birth controls because it's like sometimes it's easier just to not mention a condom because it's like um I'm like I'm not sure this person will wear a condom and I don't want to deal with the emotional effects or the like psychological ramifications of having had sex with this person in an unconsensual way so I'd rather just like not not um like not even try and bring it up because I know like he's not going to do it and then obviously in hindsight these if you're already feeling like that about someone it's not a good person to have sex with but yeah a lot of us like end up in these kind of um situations and then it's like yeah it's it's yeah I also think like um because so many uh sexual positions are make it so easy for men to be the ones stealthing as opposed to us because mm -hmm. like um I don't know yeah the, the time I had where a man like took off a condom during sex without asking me I was like in doggy position and um yeah and like the, all these positions that enable them to be able to do that without like asking consent and um yeah I don't know and I I just I really agree with what you were saying Nicole about like just an added layer of emotional labor that needs mm. to be done like, as if we don't already have so much emotional labor now we've also got to think about um okay how are we going to do this contraception how are we going to make sure that mm -hmm. like this functions well and um have these conversations around this and meanwhile um, for men they never have to like yeah they're generally taught not to think about it at all like they most of them don't really know what the pill is or like well they know what it is but I'm not going to do the research I'm not going to really understand um like how birth control or the cycle or all of that works yeah it's just like completely left up to us um, yeah um, it's very frustrating yeah and I mean like the trauma of like stealthing is so like what a what a complete violation you know yeah, yeah. um and I'm really, really happy. Uh, we shouted this out on Positive Leftness News recently that in Canada, stealthing was just uh, like decided that it, it constitutes rape and sexual assault. So like, thank God mm. that like we're starting to recognize that. But I mean, yeah, the fact that, um, you know, that's not an uncommon experience is like just horrifying, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I also like this, like wonder to what extent, like the widespread acceptance of the pill um, was just like a result of like men not wanting to wear condoms. And like suddenly it's like a, a way for them to not have to wear condoms because, um, yeah, if, if the, their partners are on the pill, then they're like, oh, yeah, like now I don't have to do mm -hmm. this. And mm -hmm. usually for most of us, it's more ingrained in us that like oh, the fear of pregnancy as opposed to STDs, at least mm -hmm. for me, I'm like way more scared about pregnancy than STDs. And um, yeah, and so it can be easy to like, yeah, to have sex without condoms in that kind of situation. Well, um, and I think that's like very political too in the realm of uh, heterosexual relationships versus like uh I would say gay men specifically mm. you know because 
for them, <laughs> STDs are a big fear mm -hmm. and have been historically. Whereas, and I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I think the AIDS scare or the AIDS um, epidemic made straight people feel even more safe mm -hmm. in terms of STDs, STIs. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like it, it really enhanced this, this focus of heterosexual sex is about pregnancy and mm -hmm. gay sex is about STDs, you know? And, and yeah. so, and I think that that still perpetuates today. Like I have never talked to a straight person who has ever, ever thought about getting HIV AIDS ever. Mm -hmm. I've never met a single straight person who's ever said that that was like a thing they even ever considered. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of, I think that kind of partially answers the question we've had going of like, why are men putting themselves at this risk? Yeah. Too, you know? Um, and I think that's a big part of it. And I have heard people say like, well, whatever I'm going to catch, I can just go take some penicillin or I can go, you know, take whatever medication and clear it up. And so it's not a big deal. And they just never even seem to consider that they could catch something that would be a bigger deal. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, um, HIV has AIDS has become more treatable and much better managed nowadays. We have like much better treatment for it. So it doesn't have to be the same kind of death sentence that it was before. But still, it's it's not that it's not an awareness of treatment options, which are still, you know, pretty like it's a pretty intense thing to to do compared to a different STD where you can just kind of take a pill and clear it up. But it's not an awareness of the fact that treatment options have gotten more effective and better. It's it's that like, oh, I'm straight. So that's not going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really does come out of homophobia and this this focus and you know we have monkeypox now like mm -hmm. what did, what did they say um same tune different song or something <laughs> whatever that expression is mm -hmm. but it's like the same thing over and over again where it's like these things are only affecting this one community so if you're not part of that community you're safe and you don't have to yeah. worry about it and i think we see that with the way that straight cis men go treat stis yeah. And it's also like, I think it also allows like cis women then to also kind of feel like that, yeah, they're safe. Like, well, I'm on, I'm mm -hmm. on the pill. So it's okay if we don't use a condom. Yeah. Um, I've had so that... many friends say that who literally have like one night stands and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. what do you do about condoms? Because I also, my big thing always is blowjobs too, because I'm like, well, you can get an STI yeah. from a blowjob. So I always yeah. ask my friends, I'm like, who say they have safe sex. I'm like, right. what do you do about blowjobs? Because I always find that really awkward. And they're like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So you're not, you're not. But anyway, yeah, I've had yeah. friends who like, you know, have a lot of very casual sex. And when I ask about like safe sex or like what they do, Cause I'm always curious, you know, it's, they're like, Oh, I'm on the pill. And I'm like, mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. honey, that's not, I mean, that's just one, mm, that's just yeah. one thing, you know? Yeah. And I think that, no. yeah, it's very normalized for cis hat women to be like, mm. well, I'm not going to get pregnant. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Like I, and I definitely learned that the hard way. Cause I was like in my, <laughs> I was like in my late teens or whatever. And like had this like, you know, short-term relationship with this guy who um, 
uh, actually had a girlfriend and was also sleeping with other people that I didn't know about. Um, mm. And so I, and I, you know, was like, well, I'm on the pill. And like, it just, we just never really even considered that. So I ended up getting chlamydia, which like, you know, I had no symptoms of the only reason I knew was because like, I, I guess I, at my physical, my doctor told me, and luckily, you know, I could take a pill for seven days and then that was fine and whatever. But I mean, yeah, that definitely woke me up. Cause like it could have been anything. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think it gives people this kind of like false sense of security that like, yo, this is what I'm doing, mm-hmm. uh, as you said, for safe sex and, and whatever, but just, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm truly shocked by like how many, uh, you know, cis straight men just don't even consider STIs at all. Yeah. yeah. And there's, you know, things like um, HPV, yeah, which can affect anybody. But I, th- I think I don't have the stats, but I think, you know, is more of an issue for people with, um, I know it can affect your cervix specifically. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it affects other stuff. Um, you know, it's like tied into cervical cancer. Um, where was I going with that? Which I, I had HPV for a couple years until my body cleared it. And so that's another thing that you can be left with or that you can get where it's like, I can't really, I can't like take a pill and get rid of this and my body might be able to deal with it, but it also might turn into cancer. And that's like Mm -hmm. a really, but people don't think long-term, right? They think like, Oh, am I, is my pee burning? in a couple days or a week or two, um, or am I pregnant? You know, they don't think like, oh, years from now, this could turn into cervical cancer for Mm -hmm. the person that I'm sleeping with. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a long time, I don't know if it's changed now, but, you know, they had the HPV vaccine that was only given to teenagers with wombs. And there was not testing for um, like AMAB people. So even though they could carry it and give it to people, it was like, again, the burden was just put on people with vaginas basically to get vaccinated and have to like avoid this risk. Basically. I think that that's changed, but I'm young enough to remember when the vaccine came, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the vaccine came out Mm -hmm. and that's what it was. It was like being given to, um, you know, teenage girls, quote unquote. Uh, And there was like, I remember when I got HPV, I was like, well, and you know, in, in defense of guys too, I was, I asked my doctor, I'm like, well, does my boyfriend need to do anything or know anything? Like, should he get screened? And he was like, no. (sighs) And that was it. He didn't give me any other information. And it's like, well, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like, should we be having, safer sex or like what should what should we do mm-hmm. and he was kind of like well if you have it he probably has it but like it's hard to screen for men and oh my it, god he's probably it just was so blase and I was like okay but I he's have probably a buddy. Fine. I was like I have a, <laughs> I have an STD and now I have to go tell my boyfriend and like I have no information for him and his safety that feels mm-hmm. really fucked up mm-hmm. like I have no answers for him Anyway, and um, someone in the comments uh, pointed out that herpes Mm -hmm. is very common and not treatable. And to that, I say, correct. And um, 
this plays into the politics of who looks like they have an STD, Mm -hmm. which is something I hear a lot. And that was part of that vegan guy's post. When he was saying he uh, sleeps with the low risk people, he was, that was kind of part of it coded in there was like people who look clean. Oh my God. So -hmm. people think like, oh, if you have something I can catch, I'm going to be able to tell by looking at you. And Mm -hmm. I think herpes falls under that, like, they're going to, they think like you're going to have a breakout or you're going to have some visible sign that I can see, or you're going to come off to me as a person who has an STI Mm -hmm. and I'll be able to tell, Mm -hmm. you know, and (laughs) so then I can avoid you. So that, that's a great point. Cause yeah, herpes is extremely common and no one ever fucking thinks about it. Mm -hmm. And I've actually been made to seem like I'm being cruel or, overly cautious or whatever, because I tend to not like to share silverware or glasses, drinks, you know, things with other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm made out to be like a prude or something. And it's like, well, I have a very low immune system. And so I know that there's a lot that I can catch, you know, through someone else's saliva. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not, I'm not someone who wants to be in a crowd of people, like sharing all these things. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging other people who do, but it's just like, I just don't want to for myself. And yeah, like a lot of people take offense to that. Even mm-hmm. people who I know have um, oral herpes mm-hmm. and they still get mad at me for not wanting to share silverware with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I'm just trying to protect myself. Yeah. Like I have enough, <laughs> I have a lot that I'm dealing with and it's just something I try to do, you know, even just from other people's germs, like it, it's a balance, but it's like, I don't want to literally consume your spit mm-hmm. if you're not someone I'm close to, because then I'm exposing myself to more germs than I need to, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like something I do to protect my health, but people um, get really upset about it. And I think the reason I'm talking about this at length is because I think it translates well over into sex. Like if someone's going to get mad at me for not sharing a fork, you know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. probably going to be someone who's going to get mad at being made to wear a condom or whatever. Like the way that we view each other's health and boundaries and consent crosses over to more, more than just like P and B sex, you know, it crosses mm-hmm. over into a lot of different areas, um, a lot of different sexual acts, a lot of different sexualities, but also just day-to-day behavior, like how normal it is for people to share drinks and silverware and, you know, whatever else. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've had a friend who's like half licked a spoon of ice cream and then it's been like, oh, do you want to try it? And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> do I want to eat your spitty spoonful of ice cream? Absolutely not. <laughs> and that marks me as like a weirdo but -hmm. it's like you know it's again I don't blame people for being like social and not really caring that's fine but it shouldn't be weird for me to be thinking about yeah we're exchanging fluids Mm -hmm. I know you're thinking about is like we're sharing ice cream but Mm -hmm. I'm saying like we are actually exchanging fluids and I'm gonna think about that in terms of my health and safety before I say yes or no. If you're someone whose tongue I'm sucking on all the time, sure. Still wipe the spoon off. Don't give me a half-eaten spoon of ice cream. It's weird. (laughs) And that's my autism talking. 
but you know, like if you're someone that I, that I'm not really physically, like I've had people do it when I've just met them. I've, you know, maybe I'm meeting like a partner's group of friends and it's like within five minutes, someone's like, here, try my drink and eat this. And, and I'm like, huh, I don't even, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't even like given you a hug. We're not even at that level. I just, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Especially it's, the pandemic. Yeah. Well, that was the most validating thing to ever happen to me because yeah. I was like, see, <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is why I don't want to share silver with all of you. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, people like, still do it. And I'm like, really? I know. <laughs> I know. Wild to me. But yeah. And I think the pandemic, someone brought up the pandemic before too, in terms of like um, people not wearing masks and then also wondering if there's a crossover between people who don't wear masks and people don't who don't wear condoms. Yeah. And I think like I think COVID is actually a really good example of this is a not an STI, but it is it is a disease of, you know, contact and proximity. And to see how lightly the majority of people took it and still take it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you can apply that to sex and see like, well, yeah, it makes sense that in this culture that we have where where illness is not taken seriously and everyone thinks they're invincible and they also think they can tell who's sick that people are not going to take your personal boundaries seriously and they're just going to believe that they can do things and get a, like not have any consequences mm-hmm. especially if they feel like they're uh what's the word I'm looking if they're like outsourcing what they perceive to be the most severe consequences to the other person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love to hear, I know this is about birth control, so it doesn't really apply, but you know, I would think, um, you know, learning about like bottom culture and things like prep, you know, I wonder if similar things are happening there where it's like, Mm -hmm. if you're a bottom you're expected to be on prep and like mm-hmm. maybe not use a condom and that's you know what I mean like I could see yeah. I could see similar dynamics popping up in other communities as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah the people so, who get penetrated have to <laughs> carry the burdens of oh. the top who dick us down <laughs> <laughs> here here <laughs> yeah. Um, there's like even with um others like if you use a strap on you're supposed to use a condom with it mm. i don't know if people know that but like there's a lot of ways that you know safe sex permeates and i've i've been very interested in having very safe sex with people of all genders and you know genitalia and i've read a lot of stuff of like lesbians for instance laughing about dental dams and being like i would never use one of those i'd rather get an sti Mm. and it's like woof (laughs) (laughs) as someone who would want to be very safe especially if i'm going to get to have my hoe phase like i fantasize about um (laughs) that's really hard to read it's hard to read that like i might be left out of a room you know for being like hey can we Mm. be super safe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah Yeah, it's really unfortunate. And yeah, I I do think like back to your media point that like none of that helps, you know, just like not normalizing any of this and making it kind of like a joke and and gross and a mood killer and whatnot. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, just 
Does anyone have anything else to add before? I thought we could maybe talk about like, what are some other potential options um, that could um, be better? Yeah, I just wanted to make one final point about how the ads that promote birth control are often like incredibly patriarchal and based on loads of gender stereotypes where often it's marketed like take the pill and you'll become less hormonal or it'll help you deal mm. with acne or I know you're gonna get bigger boobs oh my god that was a massive one for me um as someone who's a part of the itty bitty kitty committee I was um a big reason for going on the pill was because people told me like oh I get bigger boobs from that and it was like um like part of the marketing was like oh you're gonna get bigger breasts um and then yeah like all these ideas of like moodiness anxiety irritability um bloating like <laughs> that these things will reduce these things and it's just um yeah like it's just sad when the marketing of these things, especially if you're like an impressionable teenager and you're like really body conscious or yeah, you don't want to, um, I know you don't want to be fat. So you think, oh, okay, this is like one way to reduce bloating. But also it seems like some of those things seem very sexist because it's like, we're often told that we're the irrational, hormonal, overly emotional ones. And it's like, oh, this is a pill that can make me more of a cool girl that doesn't, so I don't like fall into that like traditional gender tra uh, trap of emotionality and stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think the ads can be really patriarchal. Yeah, and of course, like they say all that stuff, like you know, in a high pitched voice, and then they just quietly <laughs> whisper, like, "Oh, it can also make you gain weight and like <laughs> and, and kill your libido." And oh, yeah, you could have a stroke and die, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, like all all of the, the the super long list of side effects that are extremely severe and like completely actually contradict some of the stuff that you were saying like about bloating because like I know that yeah. that was one thing mm -hmm. that I was told that it was like oh well you could gain ten pounds just by starting the pill and I'm like great you know um, they just you know say that at a whisper like at the end of the ad you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I it's so interesting to me, um, like the cultural differences in birth control, which like, I guess it should be like, it's kind of like an obvious statement, of course, there'd be cultural differences. But should it be that normal that I don't know, I guess at this point, I would think that most of us would have like very similar types of birth control between um, nations, because if there's, there's like so many years and like so much testing that we should have like the most approved or whatever. But like the shot one, for example, uh, maybe it exists in the UK, but I've never heard of like the 11 week shot thing. And really? uh, I have a friend from Slovakia and her form of birth control is like this thing that you spray in your vagina um, and it's like kills the sperm. But um, she lived in the UK with me and we were trying to find some of that for her in the UK and it did not exist. And on the NHS website, it also wasn't like... Um, available as even a thing and so she had to go back to Slovakia to get some but I don't know I just thought it was so interesting that like that yeah that there's so and also the pill has so many different names um, I met, I'm, I think like a lot of the the pills are the same but they're just named differently based on who owns it or whatever but um yeah I don't know is that interesting to you or does it just seem obvious <laughs> no I think it is interesting because I never heard of that spray thing yeah. I don't know what that is but yeah, I do think it's interesting because especially I think 
especially in the US, I don't know how it is in other countries. Like, um, like I imagine it's similar in Canada, maybe in the UK, but I, uh, the advertising is just so constant, mm-hmm. you know, so you're just constantly aware that these things exist and what the supposed benefits are. So there's a big drive, like the Depo Provera shot, which is what I was on, um, was such a huge thing. Cause it's like, oh, you just take this shot, then you don't have to worry about it for like 11 or so weeks. And you, for most people stop getting your period. And it like sounded like a magical thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was advertised, it was like commercials for it constantly, you know? So you're just like so hyper aware. Also, Catherine, you're, um, that room. <laughs> That makes me think of the Seinfeld episode, the Spongeworthy yeah. <laughs> episode. Was I, I, th- I don't think I've seen it. Oh, God. It was so funny. It's just like, were they discontinuing sponges? Or it was yeah, just yeah. The- yeah. I think they're back, though. I think you can get sponges now. I feel like I looked it up a while ago. <laughs> anyway, it's it sounds like a similar thing where it's this, like, sp- sponge that you put inside you. And it has spermicide on it. So you put it in like, you know, within an hour of having sex or something. And it was this character, Elaine's like favorite birth control and they were discontinuing it. So she only had so many left. Mm -hmm. So her and her friend were like constantly talking about if this guy was like sponge worthy or not. (laughs) If he was like (laughs) worth using a sponge on. Anyway. Um, But yeah, and that's the thing too, is like, I don't know if sponges, um, Mexi, I know you're going to bring up a diaphragm, which I'm interested to hear about, but I feel like these things were never, like no one ever talked to me about these alternatives ever. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of wild to me, especially like Catherine, what you were saying, you know, I've been in similar situations being in like long distance relationships or just being in between partners for a very long time. And it's like, if I had known that there were things I could just use in the moment Mm -hmm. and then not have to be on anything, I would have definitely opted for that. But nobody Mm -hmm. talked to me. Mm -hmm. Like I remember thinking as a teenager or like a young adult that a diaphragm just seemed like a 1950s thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like seemed like it couldn't possibly work. And just did not feel like it was like no one had ever told me that was an option or talked to me about it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, Oh, I, that actually sounds like a great solution. Mm-hmm. But like, it was never presented to me as a solution. Yeah. And the only time I had heard this is the last thing I'll say, the only time I had heard about a diaphragm was in look who's talking, I believe <laughs> when they show the diaphragm not working in the beginning and mm-hmm. Is it Kirstie Alley in that movie? Getting pregnant. <laughs> so mm-hmm. even my only awareness of it was like, oh, they don't work, you know? Right. Uh, so I actually don't know why I that was a mess up. I meant to write IUD. I don't know why I wrote diaphragm. Oh, I was so <laughs> excited. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, Although IUDs are very cool as well. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I meant to say that I had an IUD. Um, like I'm pregnant now. Uh and I wanted to be pregnant. So uh, I took it out purposefully, but yeah, the IUD was what I, what I was using for, I don't know, six, seven years, um, non-hormonal, which I mentioned before. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to learn more about diaphragms. I do remember them being talked about in like sex ed class, um, in 
you know, grade school. But for some reason, like, yeah, it's just, I don't know if it's advertising or what, but for some reason, or maybe they are less effective than, um, you know, others, like, I don't actually know. But yeah, for some reason, like some of these. They should be more effective, right? The IUD. No, I'm talking about diaphragms. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, IUDs are very effective. Um, I don't know about diaphragms. Maybe we can like quickly Google it. But um, yeah, for for some reason, like some forms of birth control get more, um, you know, normalized and stabilized in society than others. Um, and I'm sure there's like a whole political economy to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. It's like, why can't we just do more of these kind of like individual kind of interventions and not have you know, decades long hormonal disruption and all the rest of right. with it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, if you're in a situation where for whatever reason, you're not going to use a condom, then knowing and having access to these other options is that is, that's what I was saying before too, is like, that is actually liberating, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like telling everyone that there's only this one option for them Mm -hmm. And that they have to do it. And it's this thing that, yeah, I mean, it makes total sense to me why hormonal birth control is the only thing that's really pushed because it's on a prescription basis. You have to keep getting it. Mm -hmm. So it's an industry, whereas like a a diaphragm or an IUD or whatever, you're only buying one of them. You're only getting one of them, you know, for a very long period of time. You might only get one in your lifetime, depending on, you know. The timing of it. So yeah, it's all capitalistic that they're trying to get us onto things that we have to keep getting over and over and paying money for, whether ourselves or through our insurance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I wanted to uh just touch briefly on like fertility awareness method because I know that they bring that up in the um in the documentary. Um and this is something that I'm I'm definitely much more interested in now. Um, and honestly, like I did not start learning about my cycle until like a year ago. (laughs) (laughs) Until my mid thirties, uh, solidly. Um, and really I only started to look into that. I mean, after like, you know, hearing about period power and then kind of diving into that and then, um, you know, trying to actually get pregnant and thinking about fertility, I was like, Oh, let's actually pay attention to this. Um, and it's, actually, yeah, enraging that they don't actually just teach this in school. And this isn't more common knowledge. Um, But now that I'm actually understanding like fertility and the cycle and everything, um, I am really interested in, in, um, I guess, tracking, I mean, I can't now, but like, when I have a cycle again, really, really tracking and um, getting to know my cycle. Um, And so yeah, I mean, the whole fertility awareness method is basically that there's, um, you know, a limited number of days in every month where you are likely to get pregnant. I mean, there's like a small chance that you could get pregnant outside of that. And so like, you need to be aware of that as well. Um, but typically, there's, you know, a handful of days that you are quite likely to get pregnant. And so on those days, you can think about like more um, shorter term kind of interventions like condoms or diaphragms or the spray or or whatever, right? Um, Whatever you kind of decide with your partner. And then outside of that, um, you can decide if you, you know, if you want to use birth control or not, or if you want to, you know, time things accordingly. Um, 
And so obviously there are risks associated, right? Like if like you miscalculate or, um, you know, there is still a small chance that you could get pregnant outside of that window, um, which is why it's, it's always really important to have like abortion access um, mm -hmm. completely available as well. Um, because yeah, I think um, the producer of the documentary was saying this on a podcast as well, that like, this is also quite cultural where in a lot of places like fertility awareness method um, might be more of the norm or whatever, but, but then it, it kind of is coupled with this idea that like, well, you know, I, we could get an abortion if that is necessary kind of thing. And then not to like, cause people get mad that it's like, Oh, well, you're just falling back on that. And it's just like, well, no, like you're doing your absolute best. Um, but like in the case that anything happened, like you, yeah, you do need to know that like you'll be okay. And that like, there are yeah. other options. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I used it for years. I had really good success with it. Um, I had the help of there, you know, I think especially now that there are so many apps where you can track um, your cycle and you can track other measurements of where you are in your cycle, mm -hmm. like cervical fluid and basal body temp. There's also devices that you can get. They're fairly expensive. Uh, they mentioned one of them at the end of the documentary, but the lady comp, <laughs> don't even get me started about the name, um, which I guess now they have a device called Daisy. Um, but they used to have the lady comp and the baby comp. So you would use the lady comp to not have a baby and the baby comp to have a baby. Mm -hmm. But they were these really incredible, very sophisticated devices that were also very expensive. So not, you know, accessible to everyone. But if you if you were paying for birth control and you could afford to, you would save money over time using this instead. Um, which is kind of like how I approached it when I went off birth control. I was like, okay, this is going to cost me like so many months of what my birth control would have cost. But then after that, it's actually saving me money. Anyway, it um, helps you take your basal body temp and it tracks your cycle. And it's said to be like 99% effective with correct use. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what, there's a lot of things that can happen. Like I had a friend who ended up ovulating twice in her cycle oh. and she was, she was self-tracking. And so she ended up getting pregnant. And fortunately they had kind of wanted, they wanted a kid anyway, they were going to wait a little bit longer. So it ended up not being like too big of a deal um, that she got pregnant, but th there's a lot that can happen. People can, you know, their cycles can get messed up because of stress. There's just like, I know for myself, I'm an insomniac. So it's very hard for me to take my basal body temp upon waking at the same time every day, because mm -hmm. that time is always different. And like, who knows how much sleep I actually got. So my temperature, you know, might be messed up. But even with that, I found it very effective. And a lot of times, um, if you're using a device like that, it can really help you know, like if you were ovulating twice, it would probably pick up on that through different metrics that it's taking. Mm -hmm. So I just want to put it out. It's like it is, I think, overall, a very effective method, but it is also a lot of work and it requires you to be very consistent. Like you have to take your temp at the same time, you have to like, you're supposed to like, 
ideally someone would like come stick the, te- the thermometer in your mouth while you're still sleeping. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can't take a sip of water. You really like, shouldn't even like yawn too much. I mean, it's pretty intense. Um, it, it can be to get like that level of accuracy. So it is also pretty labor intensive and there's other things you can do, you can do like tracking your cervical fluid, but that again requires you to like, you know, touch, touch up there and, and then like analyze what is it, is it slippery? Is it eggy? Is it, you know, and that to me, I'm like, I don't want to do all that work. <laughs> I also could never decide. I'm like, I don't know. Is I it, know. Is <laughs> it like, what do you think slippery is? <laughs> Same. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, I guess it's clear oh. or is it white? I can't like assess this. So um Celeste asks, can you take your temp anally? I don't know. Actually, that's a pretty good question. Cause that would be more accurate. I know that the thermometer on the lady comp that I was using was not built for that. It was extremely delicate and it was built to, you know, specifically get like your under your tongue temperature. But it does seem like a thing that should work, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to put, to put that out there. And then it's the sort of thing where it gives you, it gives you a window that should keep you safe of when to start being careful. Mm-hmm. So it gives you like a f- probably five days before you could get pregnant. It's like, hey, you know, start being safe now. So I do think in conjunction with other birth control methods, it can be very effective and it can be very empowering. And I've known a lot of like cishet men who get involved in the tracking Mm -hmm. and kind of get excited about it and like start to know more where you are in your cycle. So it can be kind of a nice thing to do together. Um, But it is a lot of work. And I think that that makes it hard. And I think anytime something's not being done correctly, right, it immediately gets less effective. So it's an option I think people should look into. But it's also something I would totally understand if someone was like, that's not going to work for me. And I would understand why it may have not worked for for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it also kind of... um it's only really works if you're quite regular right because like for me some of my periods are every three weeks some of them are every six weeks and then I'm like hmm would it then give me like an accurate reading of the situation um yeah I don't know but yeah it's very Mm -hmm. yeah I I found tracking like really empowering in terms of it just I understood like I had so much data on what was happening on my, in my body at all times. And that was really cool. Um, like my body temp was pretty low and I had always felt like my body temp was low, but then seeing it time after time. And then I started to do some things to try to address that. And then they started to work. And so I was seeing like my temp go up gradually over time. And it was like, this is cool. You know, <laughs> it made it kind of neat mm-hmm. to have that much like, insight into my own body and like what was happening and I did I found it to be very accurate like every time it said I was going to start my period I started my period I found it to be spot on Mm -hmm. for me um but again I was very privileged that like I was able to have access to this device at the time I think when you're tracking by hand and really relying on things like your cervical fluid more because I I didn't even track that I just went by my temp and my you know cycle and stuff um, I think that that definitely makes it a bit more tricky 
and a lot more work. You know, if you have a day where you just don't want to do it. Yeah. It's a little tough. I I really love the idea because um as I was saying earlier about the whole period power mm-hmm. thing about um like knowing what pe- period of your cycle you are in because then from that you can have more knowledge about what is good to do at that time and yeah like it's a lot of lost wisdom that we used to have much more of and like witches and things um paid a lot of attention to um yeah so I could imagine for myself not as like necessarily as a contraception but something just to like have that self-knowledge would be amazing and especially if your partner got on board with it because then they'd be much more receptive to like knowing okay you're at this stage you're probably feeling like this let me accommodate you Mm -hmm. so yeah Yeah. I love it I might yeah I might get that (laughs) I think Um, you would really like it (laughs) (laughs) this one I know you like um moving with your cycle and stuff and it just gives you like that much more insight into your cycle I think it's really cool Mm-hmm. Um, Nicole, I think you also said at the beginning that you had like controversial opinions about pull-up method or something. Oh, I do, <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have to go through it. Um, yes. So, okay, I looked it up, and a diaphragm used perfectly is ninety-four percent effective. Okay. Um, typical use, real life use, is about eighty-seven percent, mm-hmm. which is pretty good for what it is. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a high risk. It's not, you know, yeah, 87% sounds like a lot. But when you think about all the people all of the times, it's, it's not that great. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it means that 13 out of 100 people who use a diaphragm, the way that it's typically used will get pregnant each year. Yeah. So and you can do things with the diaphragm, like you can um, use spermicide with it, right. and that will make it more effective. So you do yeah. have some options. A lot of people, however, find spermicide very, um, irritating Hmm. that's one of the things that I find in condoms that have it can be a bit irritating for me Mm -hmm. um so there's that they say put your diaphragm in before you start having sex even before you're aroused if possible so it's something you want to do like ahead of time um and then you want to get you need to get to know like your diaphragm needs to be covering your cervix so you want to make sure you just like know how to make sure that it's in the right position Okay, so that's that. So what else did I look up earlier? So condoms. Condoms are 80. Sorry, condoms are 98% effective if used perfectly. Mm -hmm. But the typical rate is, wait for it, also 87%. Oh, really? Yes. So this is why finding the right condom size is very important. And then knowing how to put it on properly is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to pinch the tip and roll it down and make sure that it's rolled down properly and that you don't have bubbles anywhere because with friction, those can rupture. Um, and it's, I think it was Paul pointed out in the chat, like if you have a condom that's too small, that can lead to tearing as well. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that the other person's properly or you or the other person is properly lubricated because that can also lead to tearing if, um, you know, that's just too much dryness and too much friction happening that way. So all of that can get you more up to the 98%. And then... Yes, my hot take. So uh, this may shock people. The pull-out method is 96% effective 
when done properly, this is a huge caveat because <laughs> typical use of pull-out method is 78% effective, which is not good. And I have several friends who have gotten pregnant from pull-out method. Mm -hmm. So what I want, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I think people are afraid to talk about pull-out method because it's kind of like, you know, everyone's like, it doesn't work. Yeah. And I understand that. But I also think that we should give people all the tools to make decisions for themselves in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so if you have someone perhaps who's being pressured into sex without a condom, but they can talk their partner into pulling out, it's going to give them better protection than if they didn't have it. Or if you have two people who are in a situation where they're like, we're going to fuck, <laughs> like it's going to happen and we're going to do it unprotected. So if they make the, the option to pull out, then at least it's giving them something. I think it's mm -hmm. good. I think people are afraid to educate people because then they'll just choose that thing. But I think we need to give people information and let them make their own choices. Mm -hmm. So again, with typical use, pulling out is only 78% effective. The way that you can increase this and get it more towards perfect use now, of course, the biggest thing, which is very hard to control for, is the person with the penis knowing their body well enough to know when that time is that they can pull out before they start to come. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where most people go wrong. Um, and, you know, the person who's being penetrated has no control over that. So that's difficult, right? That's scary. Like, you, you can't really control that. Um, if you are the person with the penis, practicing masturbating and getting to know when that time is, is really helpful. Um, another thing that no one ever talks about is if you have come at any time prior to the sex that you're having, you need to urinate to empty out your tube of all sperm and to like make it acidic so that it kills off anything that might be in there. So if you've come previously either from masturbating or maybe, you know, we're fooling around and like got off in some other way and now you're going to have um, penetrative sex, then you need to make sure that you go to the bathroom and also that you wash yourself off really well to make sure that anything that might be on the outside and on the inside is washed away. And that's going to really help a lot. <clears throat> so Mama Nick is not saying to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, and I'm going to remind you, I have several friends who've gotten pregnant from pull-out method, but what I will say is that it has worked for me. I have used it and it has worked for me. And I think if it's the only option you have, now you have information on how to do it in the best way. Yeah. Do that you, what you will. And you could also combine that with fertility mm -hmm. awareness, or even like, you know, we we're just talking yeah. about a diaphragm. So maybe that's only 87% effective, but then you have a diaphragm plus the pullout method. And then maybe that's preferable for you and your partner. Yeah. So like, there are a lot of different options that you can mix and match. And it's really about like, yeah, having the information, which we don't have, we don't, ha we didn't have any of this information. Like we just got it just now. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, question about that. Cause I know, um, some people say like, oh, but you can get pregnant from the pre-cum as well, which like, from my understanding, and I've looked this up several times, mm -hmm. um, there is no sperm in pre-cum. Okay. So it has that, the ejaculation, that whole physical process of ejaculating is what moves the sperm out. 
Mm-hmm. So the pre-cum is just this like lubricant that doesn't have oh, sperm in it. That's yeah. pretty interesting. I didn't know. Okay. But it, but it is, I mean, other things to consider are, you know, sometimes, and I've been guilty of this because I'm a dirty little bird, but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> someone will pull out and then come on the person's, you know, vagina or genital mm-hmm. region. Mm-hmm. And that is dangerous because it like literally can just take a drop to get mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. and cause trouble. So that's something is like you really want to angle yourself away and make sure wherever you're coming, it's far away from that person's genitals, um, mm-hmm. you know, on their chest maybe, or like away into a sock perhaps. <laughs> I don't know your life. Do what you want to do. Um, so that's a big thing. And then, oh, also, um, I think you have to be really careful afterwards because you now have come all over your hand. The other person potentially has come, you know, on their body somewhere. So you have to be really careful that you don't like start fooling around again. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. when it dries, you can kind of forget uh, if you're kind of laying around or even if you wash up, but you're not washing up, like, like you're not taking a shower, you know, so maybe you miss something it can be really easy to, um, can you tell I like to fuck several times a night? It can be really easy to kind of get back into things and then forget like, oh shit, maybe I had a little bit of sperm left on my finger, you know, and now I'm touching this person. Um, So I think those kinds of things, I hate having to be overly clean when it comes to sex. Like I don't like the idea of having to run right into a shower, but it's just something like if things are starting to heat up again and you've sort of gotten come everywhere, then you may want to take a shower before you proceed because, you know, it's like you you have this uh, ticking time bomb that you can't see anymore all over you. <laughs> and it could it could get into the womb and create some trouble. Mm-hmm. So I think just keeping that in mind is like, it can be a tool. It is, if you are going to use it, it is good to use it in combination with other things. For me, it worked really well in combination with the fertility awareness method. Mm-hmm. So I knew, you know, I have a very low chance of getting pregnant. So we might as well do this and that's fine. And, you know, in a monogamous relationship, which may or may not matter, but for me, it was like, okay, I don't really have the STI risk. So I feel like this is okay. My partner and I had talked about like getting an abortion if something did happen. So we had that conversation. Um, And then on those days where you're at risk of getting pregnant, then you use a condom or you abstain or do other things, you know, you just do something that's a bit more careful and that works really well. It also works really well with condoms, but (laughs) you know, Good luck getting people to do that. <laughs> but it is it is very effective if you use condoms to also pull out. What? How would that work? So you would um... just as like you're starting to climax, you would pull out and probably and either come into the condom or take it off and then come wherever you're going to come. Oh, okay. Some people like it because it keeps it really clean. You know, some people actually do prefer doing that. And it's really good because it's helpful against STIs as well as pregnancy. It's it's really effective. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's a matter of what you and your partner want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank Yeah. Thank you for that. No, this is important. This is really important. Like, yeah, there are so many options out there. It doesn't just yes. have to be the birth control pill. And for some reason, we've just fallen to that option for literally everything under the sun. Um, but it's very harmful and has very pernicious uh, gendered effects. <laughs> um, or I guess not gendered, but like, yeah, based on whatever... Um, if you have a womb or not. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really not okay for this, all, all this mm -hmm. information to be kept from us um, mm -hmm. because then we can't actually make informed choices about that. And that's the most important thing I believe is like communication with your partner and making really informed choices about this. And so hopefully mm -hmm. we've helped you in some way today to, uh, you know, uh, make those informed choices and um, just feel more empowered doing it. And I honestly can't believe that it's taken me till like my mid thirties to like fully actually understand all of this you know yeah I mean it was same for me it was like early 30s before I even knew any of this stuff yeah. so um can I just say uh, one other suggestion maybe is to keep some kind of like mood journal um for the type of contraception that you're taking and it doesn't just have to mm. be with, like um if you're taking the pill and then seeing how you feel but um also, I found like journaling and like keeping a mood journal for how I was feeling when I was using a condom or when I was using a pull-out method or um, like when I was having sex around ovulation or like things like that were really helpful for me because I started to realize that, okay, I'm having like pull-out sex and it's working in terms of not, I'm not getting pregnant, but I'm not enjoying the moment very much because I'm just feeling like anxious and and then mm. I'm also just like every single time it's my period time, I'm getting so nervous that I'm not. Um, and then I'm like running to get a pregnancy test and take so many pregnancy tests. And, blah, blah. Um, and so like clearly this isn't working for me. So I think that and sometimes it can be hard to like um, rem really realize how like anxiety inducing something might be or how it, it doesn't have to be anxiety or how it's affecting you in general. Because, um, yeah, like the moments are so brief and then you go about your day. But, yeah, I definitely found it helpful to have that. And also, if I could have had that when I first started the pill, I probably would have got off it a very a lot quicker. <laughs> I wish, like, young people um, were empowered to, yeah, to, like, start tracking their moods when they took things like the pill or made any kind of big changes in general. And so, yeah, I think um, that could be helpful. And just to reiterate, I think something that we were saying as well, like, um reproductive or like birth control justice is um holistic and it's yeah just like having access to food shelter um money so we can also pay for abortions access to abortions access to parental care access to like you know just gender equality in general like I don't know I I hate that it's always so reduced to this yeah one one solution and one pill and yeah yeah, that's a really, really good point. And before we sign off, I want to point out something. Paul Paul was crunching the numbers yesterday on birth control methods. And um, so condoms being 98% effective over one year means they're 55% effective over 30 years. So if you're an old hag like me who's still out <laughs> in the street, 
<laughs> it's good to know. Um, so Paul's making the point that doubling up on methods can really make a difference over a lifetime of having sex. And I think that's a very good point. I think Holy we, shit. Yeah. yeah, we think about like, we hear these numbers. And so, yeah. cause who, who else doesn't hear 98% think 100%. Yeah. Sorry for the motorcycle gang outside. Um, so yeah, I think it's good to know that it's like over time, your odds of something happening are going to increase. So it's good to consider to have maybe like a multi-layered approach to the birth control that you're using and also the STI pr protection that you're doing. Yeah, that's such a good point. I didn't even think about that. Also, I find the whole um, typical thing really confusing because I'm like, what do mm. typical people do? This doesn't help me. Seventy-eight percent typical, but I don't know what the typical. I don't. I'm not in everyone's <laughs> bedrooms. Like I don't know what the typical. Am I doing it the typical way? I mean, obviously you can know what is like the good way, and then how much you're like doing the good way. But I find those statistics so frustrating. Yeah, it's funny. I'm like, how do they? How do they know? Yeah, like what perfect versus typical use is. Yeah. But yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's. Everything we've got birth control related. <laughs> now you're fully informed and you can take charge of your womb. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you everyone for coming and thank you both for this wonderful conversation. Yes. Thanks for hosting and organizing. This is such a good, a good topic, yeah. I think, to cover. Yeah. It's so funny. I thought this would be a quick discussion. I thought yeah. so too. <laughs> it turns out Two I have hours later. Hey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone. And thanks we'll see everybody. you next month. Bye. Oh, um, also, we have a Patreon and we don't oh, have right. a single Patreon. Give us yet, money, but... Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it's really sad that we don't have a single Patreon. <laughs> well, to be fair, I'm sure everyone here like is already a patron of one of us. Thank you. Every time for that. you successfully pull out, you have to come give us money. That's the rule. <laughs> for every cum sock, you have to make a $1 donation. <laughs> I've never tried that, but I really want to know. <laughs> what a cum sock? Yeah. I mean, you know, anytime you can, no fuss, no muss, I'm all about it. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much, um, Thomas, a.k.a. Cranador. Yeah, everyone's probably already a patron, but we appreciate you all. And yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to put um, this is a message for future viewers when our channel yeah. blows up and they're yeah. catching up on our backlog and they're like, oh, yeah, I should pay them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You never know, one of these streams is bound to take off someday. Yes, and then we'll be rich. Hell yeah. <laughs> all right, y'all. Very good talk. Thanks so yes. much for coming. Bye. Yeah. Thanks, Bye, Maxi, everyone. for hosting. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.